This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, real MVPs, Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast, right here on Most Valuable Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything college football and college basketball. Maybe one of these days, like, we'll venture into college lacrosse or college baseball, but uh, for right now, it's the main two. It's uh, college football, college basketball. We are continuing... Our football previews getting ready. We are now, Brandon, three weeks away from the beginning of football season for the Primetime Podcast. August 27th is not only our first picks podcast, it is also where we're going to make our predictions for the season. I can't wait. I'm pretty excited. I mean, it's it's been it's been a long time, and I know that people will say, "Well, you know, that's that's the end of summer." You know, they're like, "I want college football mm-hmm. and I want NFL, but I don't want summer to end." Well, you can't have both. Um, so you, you just kind of have to wave bye to summer and say hello to fall and embrace it. And uh, it's it, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, every single season is always a good time. I mean, technically, we have games the week before on the 25th. People are going to say, "But guys, we've got games on the 25th," but. Uh, they're games that involve like UMass and Rice and Hawaii and Colorado State and New Mexico State in a Josh Allenless Wyoming Cowboys. So they're games that I really don't care about. I'm sorry. But so August thirtieth are the true start for me for the college football season. But in today's podcast, we are continuing our previews. Like I said, we're taking a look, continuing in the Big Ten conference, and we're gonna look at the Big Ten beast. East, but I like to call it the beast. Before we get into everything, a little bit of housekeeping for you guys. First off, make sure to check off patreon.com backslash Molesville podcast. Last week, we had Matt on to talk about his Purdue Boilermakers. If you want to be like Matt, make sure to check out the $10 tier on Patreon so you can help support the channel and be on a podcast of your choosing. Also, make sure to check out that store link, either in the description or at molesvillepodcast.com. You can get yourself an MVP t-shirt to Mark put it the best way. Maybe you're uh, it's laundry day and you don't want to do laundry. That's okay. Just buy an MVP t-shirt. Then you don't have to do laundry and you get an MVP t-shirt. It's a win-win either way. You can also go to mostvalopodcast.com to catch MVP each and every day. And if you have Apple Podcasts, you're on Apple Podcasts, you have iTunes, make sure to give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating and let people know why you like listening to the podcast. Because apparently right now that one rating is still there. We're just a couple of good old boys that talk about the SEC. Although today we are not talking the SEC. We so haven't actually talked to the SEC in weird. weeks. Uh, I think it's been months that we haven't talked because they were the first previews that we did. And I think half of those previews, it was Sean and I and not you and I. So, I mean, it's a it's an interesting little comment. Make sure to go change that and write on our iTunes page why you like listening to the Primetime Podcast each and every week. But let's get into it, Brandon, talking about the conference that I like to call the Big Ten Beast. And I love to talk this conference because it's got three or four of the best teams in the Big Ten all in this side of the conference. How we do things is we start from the rankings last year, the standings last year. We start from the bottom. We go all the way to the top, looking at each team in the division. Let's start off with the bottom feeder. I'm going to say the bottom feeders from last year only because they were one of the two and seven teams last year 
We're going to look at the Indiana Hoosiers to start the podcast. And here's the first question I want to ask you. Usually a Ricky Widmer question is, so what about this quarterback decision that they have to make? Because the Hoosiers do have a quarterback decision that they have to make. But I want to start this podcast off with the defense. This was a defense last year that Tom Allen in his first year as head coach of the Hoosiers He made them a respectable defense last year. They were one that limited opponents to just over 25 or around 25 points per game. They were the sixth best defense in the Big Ten all of last season. That is all 14 teams. They were the sixth best defense. However, this is a team that is going to lose two of their top linebackers in Scales and Covington, and they are going to have guys coming back off of injury The first question I want to ask you about this team is, can this defense produce at the same level that they did last year to be the sixth best, if not better, this year in 2018? I think that this defense could probably do that. Uh, You know, you look at what they were able to do last season, and they held opponents to 25 points per game right around there. And then you even look at some of the games that they played last year. You know, it was a really close game against Michigan, 27-20 in overtime, mm-hmm. 17-9 on the road at Michigan State. You're close against Maryland. You're close against Purdue on the road. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of good things there, and that defense was a really big part of the reason why it was so positive. And, and you mentioned you lose a couple of guys, but this team and, and, and Tom Allen as their head coach is a guy where a lot of people are – are going to say, as they have been saying, you know, look at what he's done defensively. The the biggest issue is probably going to be making sure that they still have things or will have things set on the offensive Mm -hmm. side because defense is more of his stronger suit. It's more of the stronger point with Allen as the head coach. So, yes, you do have to replace a couple of these really important studs that you have from last season. Mm -hmm. But you're not replacing every single guy on the defense. And because you're not doing that, you're still going to have a number of areas and a number of players who are going to be stepping into a role or just taking on a bigger role. Mm -hmm. The question is going to be, are they ready for it? And can they shoulder the load? Yeah, I mean, really the big question when it comes to defense, like for the entire team, the biggest question is for defense, can they get over the one? Number one thing is, can they get over the loss of most importantly, Scales and Covington. But for both offense and defense, the main question is, can the players, because they had a lot of injuries last year, can the players who were injured last year come back and produce it the way they need to produce? Like one player on the defensive side, um, Niall, Niall Skiles, or Niall Skies, um, he's got a return from injury. Is he going to be able to produce on the edge like this team needs. Also, defensively, the question that I have is the switch in teams that they will play in the Big Ten. They're going to play all the Big Ten East teams. Like, there's no problem there. But last year, you look at the schedule, you get an Illinois team that 14 points, that's not too bad um, for defenses, but that Illinois team last year was very inexperienced and was a shell of itself and couldn't do anything Whereas this year, instead of Illinois and um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to look like a Wisconsin who blew them out 45 to 17, you get teams more 
I'm going to say one that's in the middle, Iowa. What are we going to see from them? And then Minnesota. Is that going to be, I'll ask you this, on the terms of the defense, do you see this as more of a, wow, this is favorable because Iowa compared to Wisconsin is a step down from Wisconsin and Minnesota, Illinois could be right around the same? Or will this be a, you know what, Iowa might be a step down from Wisconsin, but Minnesota's a little bit of a step up from Illinois. Which side, which kind of perspective do you take with those two? Because I may be leaning towards the second one, depending on what we see from Minnesota. This You're year. talking about the schedule as a whole. I'm you know, talking how are about you, how are you looking at the are you talking about looking at I'm, these teams on the schedule? I'm looking at a microcosm of just those two games because those are the two in conference that switched from last year. Last year it was Wisconsin, Illinois. This year it's Iowa, Minnesota. Is that going to be better for this defense to go up against those two compared to Wisconsin, Illinois, or is it going to be worse? Well, it's it's going to be better because you're not getting Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin's the best team on the other side okay. and possibly the best team mm-hmm. in the Big Ten uh, when it's all said and done. Minnesota is a team, and we've talked about them. That they they they, they've got some they've got some things that they still need to work out, and they've got some things that they need to work out on, on both sides of the mm-hmm. ball as well. And then Iowa, Iowa's still going to be a good team. They've lost some really big playmakers defensively as well, mm-hmm. but they'll still be a good team. I would like this. I like this better mm-hmm. than what they saw last year because yeah, you put Illinois in there, and Illinois has been really down for yeah. a number of years, and especially here under Lovey Smith. But Wisconsin was in there. I, mm-hmm. It does not matter who else you put in. Wisconsin <laughs> was in there, and that's that's a game that already you would look at and say, you know, there's a, there's a probably a pretty good chance that that we lose that game if if we're Indiana. Mm-hmm. But you ha- you have a chance. And in talking about this this defense, what what Tom Allen did this this season is he has a he had a really good recruiting class, and he had a really good recruiting class in terms of. How athletic they are, and and what they bring to the table in terms of their athleticism, their intangibles, and all those types of things. And you look at the defense, and I think that that would be just the same. While you are losing some players, you have guys, and especially in, I think the secondary that will step in and be some athletic players. So it will be, again, something where you're always going to hurt when you lose really, really, really crucial guys to your program mm-hmm. and to what you're doing on the field and what you're doing in the locker room and off the field, but you have to believe that you're going to get guys in there, new guys who are going to have the the same impact, if not somewhat hopefully better and, you know, be better than, you know, every other person that comes in there, because if you do that, you're going to, you know, lead to that culture of excellence mm-hmm. and, and then hopefully winning. I, I, I don't worry too much about that. Like I said, it's more for me where you look to the to the offensive side and say we've we've got to do better than 23 points a game. If mm-hmm. our defense maybe gives up let's say one more point per game and you're at 20 you're giving up 26 points per game, okay, you went up a point, but if you're you know around there anywhere between 25 to 26 still, I think that you can call that a win. Well, let's move over defense to offense and We talked about the defensive totals, like I said, around 25 points per game is what they were giving up. The offense wasn't scoring a lot. They were scoring about 23 points per game, which if you look at the averages and just do it mathematically, you're still getting outscored 
bingo, that's why you're two and seven if we're going basis. But there were a lot of games that were definitely blowouts, especially late in the year. There's a quarterback decision that the Hoosiers have to make. And to me, there are really three, two, three options I'm going to say. The first option is do you go with the guy who last year as a part-time starter didn't do bad, Peyton Ramsey, however, he's coming off of a knee injury. That's option one. Option two is you go with a guy who is transferring. He's a starter that is transferring from the Arizona Wildcats. He came in four days before your spring game. Do you go with him? Or the third option, this is the last option I don't think will happen, but I'm putting it on the table anyways, is do you say, you know what, screw those other two, we are going to go with a guy in um, Michael Penix, who basically is coming in fresh, he's a freshman, but he threw 61 touchdowns in high school last year. For me, I think that if it was me, I'm going with a guy that is, I'm going with either Ramsey or Dawkins. I'd probably side with Ramsey, depending on A, where the knee injury knee injury is for Peyton Ramsey, and two, depending on how they look. But right now, I feel like Brandon Dawkins might be the one that gives you a better chance to win because he's the healthier quarterback, and he might be a little bit better of a starter coming from Arizona than Peyton Ramsey. However, Ramsey knows the system in Indiana a little bit better than Dawkins. What would you do? Dawkins, one of the freshmen, or stay with Ramsey? Well, first of all, I don't think they are going to be going with one of the freshmen because Mm -hmm. it was four days before spring camp, and they brought in Brandon Dawkins. So Mm -hmm. they clearly didn't believe that they had what they needed in terms of competition with with, with the freshmen Uh in-house, for sure, with that. But they also didn't know if Ramsey was going to be 100% mm-hmm. healthy when the start of the season came because they needed to have somebody else. And it makes sense, certainly, to have somebody else there, too, even if you believe he he could be and, and, and would be. So the the thing with Ramsey is that he doesn't have the best arm. He, he lacks considerable arm strength uh, that you would want to see in a really good, reliable quarterback. Mm-hmm. But Dawkins on the other side, in three years over at Arizona, he doesn't have standout numbers. And now you do you need to have standout numbers to come over and be a starting quarterback. No, you do not. But if you want to be a quarterback on a team that's going to be getting better and that you want to see get better and you're going to be kind of handed the keys to the kingdom and be the guy who helps it to get there, you, you want to be doing that with a guy who you think is going to be very capable to do that. If you mm-hmm. want someone who's just capable, I think that you could probably go with Ramsey. But if you want someone who's you know going to get you to the next level, I still don't know if that's going to be Dawkins. They may have to wait a year and, and give it over to Penix. True. And I mean, for me, that's the big thing that the only reason why I mention Penix and the thing that I'm looking at here at an article on um, the Charlotte Observer. Um, They have an article about the Indiana quarterback battle. Really the two that they mentioned, like they mentioned um, graduate transfer Brandon Dawkins um, because he's got more college experience. Ramsey's the guy who obviously has experience starting for the Hoosiers. But then Michael Penix, they put here, and true freshman Michael Penix Jr., who enrolled in January, so he could jump, get a jump 
into the competition. And for me, the only reason why I put Penix into this discussion is the fact that you see a number like 61 touchdowns in high school. And for me, if I am a team that only scored 23 points per game last year and needs more scoring, I know he's the most inexperienced of the bunch, but you see that type of touchdown number. And the first thing I think of is, can he get us in the end zone? Because in the end, that might be the main decider of the Hoosiers is which one of these quarterbacks, I know it sounds very simple and very like, hey, thanks, John Madden, boom, but who's going to get us into the end zone the most and who's going to get us into the end zone the often? The other, th- or the most often. Um, the other thing that you have to mention with the offense is how is Nick Westbrook going to come back to this team? He's a guy who injured himself on the opening kickoff last year against Ohio State. And he's a guy who had almost a thousand receiving yards the year before, had six touchdowns the year before. And the other que- like the other two questions that I have is first off, Nick Westbrook, how is he gonna come back from injury? But then these this this running back core too, because the stat that kind of jumped out at me from last year is Indiana failed to produce an a thousand yard running back. For the first time in four seasons last year, that to me is a problem. You got to have a more consistent run game, and you need Westbrook to come back and be the main target for whatever quarterback you choose to put behind center. Well, Morgan Ellison, though, at running back, he had a a number of 100 yard games, Mm -hmm. he averaged five yards per carry. Um, on on the season, you just need to see that more consistently, yep. and and that's what that needs to do. If he can do that, what you're saying, your your mm-hmm. thought to the Indiana running game, that should be cleared up pretty quickly. But then it also comes with consistency, and it comes with consistency at quarterback, and that's that's going to be one of the number one things. And and everyone has to remember too, and and, and as do we, that Ramsey was last year just a freshman. He's just a freshman last season, so he has time to grow. He has time to get better, and then it was cut short due to a knee injury. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a couple of things w- that were working against him there, but I would still I would still be the I would go with him. I would go with him. I would start with him. He's got weapons. There are going to be guys there, like you said. There's guys returning from injury. There's guys who are licking their chops to get better uh, in, in in year number two, year number three, whatever it may be for them. They've got an offensive line that looks to be more improved. They get a transfer over from Miami to be their center. There are things going well here for Indiana, mm-hmm. and Indiana, as I've talked about before, I can't remember if it was on the other Big Ten. A preview, or if it was just a, a, another team, and I brought up Indiana about something, but they're one of those sneaky teams a lot of the time. And I'm not saying that. Well, Brandon, what do you mean they're sneaky teams? They've been kind of you know wavering at five wins, six wins for a while. But that's the thing is that they're this close mm-hmm. to being like an eight win team. Well, if you I if mean... you if you look at, and I'm not saying in terms of necessarily all the talent they have compared to a team like an, an Iowa may have yeah. or somebody else in the Big Ten. But if you look at some of the games that I talked about earlier, that I brought up earlier, the the, the Michigan State game, the um uh you know what was what was another one of the games that they the, the Maryland game. Mm-hmm. If you have a ball bounce or you know something goes differently, 
you may have won that game. You may have won that game. And that, that to me, or the, the, the Michigan game where you go to overtime and it's 27-20. I know Michigan was in a down year last year, but still at the same time, Indiana is sticking in these games, and they were sticking in those games. Mm-hmm. And that speaks, again, to their defense. But it speaks to, are they that far off? Are they that far off from being well, a team that could jump into the middle of the pack? And that's the thing to kind of cut you off, is ever since 2014, Indiana, for me, has always been that team like, are they a good team? I would say no. Like, you look at their record, like, in 2014, they had four wins at the end of the year, one Big Ten win. However, they were always that team that if you were like an Ohio State, a Penn State, you were coming in, don't sleep on them. Like yeah, thir- yeah, absolutely. They lost 13-7 to against Penn State in 2014. 2015, that was the game they played number one Ohio State at home. Almost beat them, I yeah. believe, but lost yeah. 34-27. That was also the year... That I think they had a big upset. No, it was the number nine um, Iowa. They almost beat. They lost thirty-five to twenty-seven, and it was the double overtime game against a ranked Michigan team that had to go to double overtime in order for Michigan to get a seven-point win, forty-eight to forty-one. Then you jump ahead, twenty-sixteen overtime win against a ranked top twenty Michigan State team. And they lose 27 to 22 against the top 10 Cornhusker team that year. Penn State, 45 31. Michigan, who was a top three team, I think they were ranked third that year, only 20 to 10 was that win for Michigan. So they've always been a team that, and like Michigan last year, had, they always play Michigan tough, it seems. Um, But I mean, they've been a team where it's like, hey, if you're one of those top dogs, don't sleep on them. Don't sleep on this team, and I know what people are going to say, but guys, they got five wins last year, one more, they're bowl eligible. That is, to me, why I brought up the schedule earlier, because without playing Wisconsin, now it being Minnesota and Iowa, this is a team that might be able to get two six wins on the year. And Ricky, to back to your point mm-hmm. of, Oh, they've you know they've always played Michigan tough. They mm-hmm. almost beat um, they they beat Ohio State in fourteen. They almost upset mm-hmm. them in fifteen. You know what we what whatever it is. How long? That's the question. But how long are they going to be that team that almost beat the good team? Mm-hmm. Indiana for so long it seems has been the team that almost beats the good team, but they mm-hmm. never become the good team themselves. They they've never been able to take the next step. And it really looks like it's been defense. It's been defense that's been keeping mm-hmm. them here. But offense is the one that's holding them back because they haven't found consistency there. Which, again, talks to your point of the running game. They they need this running game they do. that's going to be anchored by Ellison to really take well, off, be good, be consistent, and more of those 100-yard games. Mm-hmm. They need more of those 100-yard games to, to ensure that... They are staying in these ball games, and eventually, it puts them over the top in an overtime, or it puts them over the top in a close game. Here's what I want to bring up. There's two last things I want to bring up. This is one of them. If you look to last year against the big powerhouse teams in the Big Twelve or Big Ten, they lose 45 to 17 against Wisconsin. Indiana only runs the ball 21 times. Ellison only had six carries in that game. Whereas the Badgers had 52 carries, 
Jonathan Taylor had 29 carries. And I know what you're saying, but Ricky, it was 45 to 17. It was a blowout, especially in the second half. They ditched the run game. I get that. But also, just looking at the fact that Wisconsin had a bell cow. Indiana seemed to not have a bell cow. Then you look at the Purdue game, 31-24 to loss. 32 total rushes for the Hoosiers, 13 for Cole Guess. Allison only had 9. You look at the other side, 43 for Purdue. Markel Jones, 31 carries. They had a bell cow in that game. Then you look at Ohio State. A total of 27 carries. This could be another one that people go, Ricky, it was 49-21. Again, ditch the run game because you're getting blown out. 27 total carries for the Hoosiers. Seven was the highest between a couple backs. Ellison was one of them. You look at 51 carries for the Buckeyes. Dobbins had 29 as the main back. JT Barrett also had 13, but he was a dual-threat quarterback. But they had a bell cow at the running back position. And then you look at it in Penn State. Indiana loses 45-14. to Saquon Barkley, 20 carries in that game. I know McSorley had 16 um, for the quarterback as well, but he ended with like a negative 19 yards with sacks and everything. But then out of 47 runs, Ellison only had nine. So for me, it's like if he's going to be your main back, give him the rock, man. Because like one of those where you said he was over 100 yards, when they gave him 15, at least 15 carries, he had decent games. That one, he had 25 carries in that game. That's what I want to see from Ellison this year. I can't keep seeing under 10 carries for him if he's going to be your main running back this year. And neither can Indiana because mm-hmm. they need to be able to take some of the pressure off the quarterback position, especially yep. in a year where you're looking especially at a quarterback, okay, or not even not even well, that, but if, job, it's, but, if it's, but if it's Ramsey uh-huh. and he's not still 100% with the knee, yep. and you need to have a little extra barrier there mm-hmm. for him or a little, little extra cushion, yeah. uh, you know, that or bl- safety blanket, mm-hmm. that needs to be, you know, another help for you mm-hmm. as a not, I don't want to say as opposed to another receiver, but in addition to. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to bring up uh, is the schedule because we didn't dive into that as as much. As, here's my, ba- my bare bones with the schedule. Indiana should get three wins to start. FIU, Virginia, Ball State. Win, win, win. My only question is the two games in the Big Ten that I think could be for sure's at Rutgers, at Minnesota, I know they're on the road, those two ats put you at five. If you beat a Maryland this year who, let's be honest, you could lose that game. If you beat Maryland, that puts you in bowl game, but how many of the other games, Michigan State, Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State, Michigan, and Purdue, are you going to upset one of these teams? In the end, I see this team... A five-win team, six-win team at best. If they are a seven-eight-win team, they upset one of those top dogs in the Big Ten. I, I think that their cap this year is six. I think their cap this this season is is six wins. Like you said, Ricky, the top the first three games of this of the season should be victories. I think they get a win on the road at Rutgers. I think they get a win on the road at Minnesota, and I think that they can beat Maryland at home. I don't I I I just don't see them 
beating Michigan State. While, yes, I've talked that they're close. They've been close. Mm-hmm. They could be close. I I think Michigan State is going to be a good team. I think Ohio State will be a good team. Penn State certainly uh, is, is going to be good this year in my mind. And Michigan's going to be much improved. Mm-hmm. It's and, and and everyone who just listened to that said, uh, yeah, those are the top four teams <laughs> on this side. But um, I, I think I could see six for them. I, I think I, I, I could maybe maybe a win over Iowa, which if everything else the way that we've said it. It could be seven, but I think their cap's at six. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. I'll be completely honest. This is another one. I get the Illini last week, why we went longer than usual, because it was very therapeutic for me being an Illini fan. But coming into this podcast, I did not expect to go almost 30 minutes on the Indiana Hoosiers. So this is where you guys come in. We let apologize. Going down in the comment section, let us know what you guys think about this defense, this offense. Who do you going to start at quarterback? Who's going to win the battle? And what do you think about your win total this year in the Big Ten? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. And Brandon, let's move on. The next team we are looking at is the other two and seven team in the Big Twelve e or Big Ten East. I always do that. Big Ten, Big Twelve. They got to change their name. Only one of them can keep big. I'm going to say Big Twelve because I keep saying it. So Big Ten got to change its name. But really. In the Big Ten, 2-7 and seven, Maryland. And this is a team that the first question I want to ask you is about their new offensive coordinator. So Matt Canada coming in, and that means they're going to have a new scheme, new things to get used to. One of the biggest things is that the quarterback is going to be more under center in Matt Canada's scheme compared to the shotgun. So I want to ask you just to start. What do you think bringing in Matt Canada is going to do for this offense and the Maryland Terrapins? Well, I think it's going to bring creativity, and that's what he's always trying to do. That's what Matt Canada has always tried to do when he's been the offensive coordinator wherever Mm -hmm. he's gone. And now this, I think, would be his eighth school um, in uh, in his like 26-year career Mm -hmm. of, of, of doing this. But what, like he said at LSU, it's about players, not plays. He said he can adapt pretty much the scheme he's got mm-hmm. to the players. He can he can absolutely do it. It's about what you have and then how that fits in with with the, with those players. So just a just a couple of things to to bring in what Matt Canada's been able to do. So at Northern Illinois, he mentored spread quarterback Chandler Harnish. Um, who ended up being a 3,000-yard passer and 1,000-yard um, rusher in the same season. And Jordan Lynch was then the backup. Uh, the, he was at Wisconsin, had Monty Ball, NC State, Jacoby Brissett. And he had Danny Etling, unfortunately, at LSU. Not much mm-hmm. to work with there. But I, I think that Matt Canada, while he has a, a different type of system, it's one that certainly, like I said, brings out a lot of creativity and will, I, I think force these players to to do th- some things a little differently, but also to go to their strengths. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing I'm looking at is this is something that I find interesting when it comes to Matt Canada is the fact that you look at it in the past two seasons, he's only spent one year at his school. 2016, he was only at Pitt. It was the only year he was there. 
went to LSU in 2017. Now in 2018, he's with Maryland. However, you look at it, and I don't know if necessarily you can say because he was there, this happened, but I find it interesting that Pitt, when he's there running the offense, 8-5 team, 5-3 in the ACC. When he's at LSU last year, 9-4 team, 6-2 in the SEC. So this year, and this is the thing that I wonder, is kind of what you were asking about Indiana late in that segment. This was a team that was a four-win team at the end of last year, two wins in conference. Could this be the year, like, could this be the year they double their wins? Because after the first two games last year, I know one of them was Towson, so don't get, like, uber crazy, but, like, 51, 63 points. People are going, wow, wow, Maryland can score some points. Maybe they're going to be good this year. Then they lose to the national champions in uh, Central Florida um, before winning against Minnesota. And then, boom, one win the rest of the way. Even though they've got, and the most important thing you said is that, Matt Canada, it's not about the system it's about the players like he can take his system and put in any player to it and make it fit is that gonna help like I feel like it's a dumb question to ask but I'll ask it anyways is it gonna help them because they do have two quarterbacks they've got Kasim Hill who's more of that prototype pro passer and then they got Tyrell Pigrom who is more of the um explosive um, guy out of the backfield, does it help them that they've got more healthy quarterbacks this year rather than just one? Well, it helps Maryland overall that they've got health mm-hmm. because that's one of the things that shot them in the foot last year. It was guys were just getting hurt left and right. Mm-hmm. I, I I felt like they lost like three players in the first game against Texas. Yeah. And that was certainly something to not get off onto the right foot with, mm-hmm. even though they won the game. Did they not? They 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 won that yeah, first Maryland game against won Texas. 51 to 41. I remember that was a back and forth game, mm-hmm. and I'm watching this like, whoa, what's going on? Well, I remember on? watching but, week one going, holy crap, Texas lost to Maryland? Because I didn't think Maryland was going to be a good team. Here's the thing. is I'll just say this right off the bat. I think Maryland's going to still come in as the number 5 team in the East, mm-hmm. but I think what Maryland's going to do is they're going to show a lot of teams that, hey— we're doing a lot of good things in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Our coaches got it together. We're getting better. And you have to start looking at us. You have to start taking a look at us because yeah, maybe it's not this year they make the, the, the big leap. Maybe it's, it's, it's a gradual thing. Last year they're 4-8. and eight. Mm-hmm. This year they'll be improved on the 4-8 and eight record. And next year, next year is I think when teams will start looking at Maryland and saying, Okay, Maryland's no longer an easy team on the schedule. The bat, like to me, the ceiling for Maryland this year is six wins. And the reason why, in my mind, the road to six wins is this is how it'll happen. They beat Texas, they beat Bowling Green, they beat Temple, they beat Minnesota. They start out 4 0. The other two wins come against Rutgers and Illinois. That is how they get to six wins. Other than that, I honestly don't think they'll beat Texas. Um, Rutgers, to me, is one of those to where it you could be— you, you said you don't think they'll I beat Texas? I don't think they'll beat Texas. You just, I think, didn't you just say that you think they'll beat Texas? No, I said if 
if they get six wins, they beat Texas. So their road to six, six is my ceiling for them. In order to get to that ceiling, they would beat Texas. Although if I picked that game today, I would pick the Longhorns over Maryland. Ideally, I see this team as a four-win team yet again, with the question mark being Rutgers, being that four or five, because Bowling Green, Temple, Minnesota, and Illinois, I think are the wins. Rutgers is a question mark and maybe Indiana, but Indiana's on the road this year, and we just talked about Indiana, how they could be a little bit of a better team in 2018 than they were in 2017, even though they've got guys that are placed on the defensive side. But that, to me, is what I think. Like, it's 4-6 to six is my window, and you brought up the Texas game. I want to ask you specifically about that game because one of the comments that kind of spoke to me when we talked about, will 2018 be the year for Texas? Um, this comment came from Finkel is Eishorn. 52 or Eisham? Yeah, Eishorn, 52. And he said, in all caps, Maryland is going to wax them again, lowercase, and I can't wait. What happens in week one between Maryland and Texas? I know it's one game, but it seems like a big one between these two teams. I don't think that we're going to see as high of a scoring game as we <laughs> did last year. 51 to 41, like you said. It's huge. That is one, one aspect that both of these teams mm-hmm. want to improve on. I believe Maryland was giving up around 37 points per game. Mm -hmm. Texas was giving up way too many points per game as well. And it was all kind of um, capitulated in that first first game of the season. You kind of had a good preview of we didn't know it necessarily yet, but what was going to be coming for the rest of the year. Yeah, I I don't see a way that we get back to a high scoring affair like that again Mm -hmm. in, in, in that first game only because both of these teams have had a year and spring and everything like that to figure out how to be better. And I don't want to say solely, because you can't say solely, but specifically mm-hmm. focus on the area of defense. This is I'm not going as far as to say that it's going to be a defensive battle, but it should be a good back and forth. Man, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I Texas, I think, is going to be good. And, and and Maryland, I don't necessarily think is is there yet to compete in the in the big big East. Mm-hmm. Well, the Big Ten East. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, big though. East don't exist no more. I know, but the, the, <laughs> but uh, you know what I meant. Yeah, um, I I'm clarifying. It. Someone in the comments is going to be like, "The Big East don't exist, Brandon." I'm clarifying for them, not you. Thank you. But I, I don't. I don't know. I I I. I, I I can't really say what I think is going to, to, to see play out yet. I'm mm-hmm. not there yet. I'm not there yet. I mean, we're still doing these previews where I know we're only Brian's three weeks like, away. Ask me but, in two weeks when we or make Or ask picks. me the day freaking before. <laughs> um, but uh, I, 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 I think both of these teams are obviously going to be improved, but I don't want to mm-hmm. continue to you know ramble on about this answer that I'm not going to give because I'm not going to give well, it. I want to turn thing. You mentioned defense, how it might be more of a defensive game. And I want to turn to the defense a little bit with Maryland because really the last thing before I do turn defense, the last thing I wanted to mention about the offense is one of the things that's going to hurt them is DJ Moore is now Cam Newton's wide receiver and not a Maryland Terrapin anymore. Like he's in the NFL. His shoes are not going to be filled. Yeah, you've got guys like Jacob on the outside who can make plays, but you've got a young receiving core that, like you said, you're speaking overall for this team, 
this year is not going to be the year your receiving core does a ton of damage. They're going to develop, and it's going to be next year, the year after, where they start making noise, and DJ Moore's shoes are not going to get filled this year. But on the defensive side, the big thing that kind of jumps out to me is the sack numbers for this team. They had just 16 sacks in 12 games. Guess how many of those? Close your eyes, Brandon. How many of those do you think came in the first two games? Out of 16. I'm going to say 12. 14 of them came in the first two games. So after the first two ga- or three games, pardon me, after the first three games, two sacks. That's all you got. That needs to change. They got to get after the quarterback a lot better because they were just averaging over one sack per game. And one thing I really like, well, I like for Maryland, I hate for my Illinois fighting Alana because as a junior, he kind of uh, led the, I think he led the team in tackles and was eighth in the Big Ten with over 100 tackles. They get linebacker from the Illinois fighting Illini, Trey Watson, to help him out. You didn't. You, no, I'm going straight to oh, you. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I, I thought you ha- were no. going to go farther uh, no, no, with no. that one on That's him. That's all so I had to I, say. So I, so I was with waiting what for you. What you were going to say. Uh, J- uh, Jesse Annabonum's. Uh, <laughs> Brandon just looks at me. Just, like, I'm waiting what? for you to what? say, say you a little bit more. You got a question more. for me or what? But, but his presence back, you have to remember <laughs> that. This was this was a guy who had 14 uh, tackles for a loss and then nine sacks. Mm-hmm. He broke his foot on in game one last year, and it really changed the entire dynamic of that defense. Mm-hmm. They bring him back. He's going to be healthy. This goes right along with there were a lot of things going wrong for Maryland last year. Number one, injuries. So to be able to bring back guys on both the offense and the defense, certainly who had... Uh, who who have a lot of talent, who have a, who have a lot of athleticism, and who mean a whole lot for their position, uh, whether it's on the line, whether it's uh, at quarterback, wherever you're talking, it's it's important to get them back, and you have to look that okay, you only had 16 sacks on the season, well, let's at least write in you know 25. Mm-hmm. Let's at least write in 25. You're yeah. still looking on the on the lower end. But it's better than it's, it's better than sixteen, 16 in the and, first and three. You had two over three. your you know remaining however many games. So it's what, nine ga- two over the last nine yeah. games is what it would be. Uh, it's it's it's, Char- it's hard to imagine that. As Charles Barkley would say, that's terrible, 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 terrible. He would, he would. But I I, I do have to believe that they'll be better because of that. Mm-hmm. Because they're they're going to be bringing guys back because they won't have the injuries. If Maryland stays away from the injuries, they already have. They're already well out in front, I think, of where mm-hmm. they were last year because that's that's one thing that brought them down last season. You're, you're going to be looking at a, a I think, a, a secondary that's going to be strong defensively. You're looking at you're looking at a defense that's that's going to hopefully be well improved from again the 37 points per game they were giving up last year. Yeah, and I mean the thing that I think will be the kind of we kind of asked this or you kind of mentioned this about. Indiana, and I think the same thing is true for Maryland, is how are you going to do against the big dogs and the beast? How are you going to do against these beastly teams in your side of the Big Ten? Because, like, I look at last year, 62-14, to you lose against Ohio State. Yeah, Urban Meyer, that whole thing's going on, but that team's not vastly 
as different as it was. The only difference is they could be without their coach for either a few games or a whole season. We don't know how that's going to play out in 14 days. Two weeks for the commoner. Exactly. Okay. Two weeks. Um, I don't understand why they just didn't say two weeks. You also did. You also didn't have a win against Wisconsin. Of course, that one was on the road as well. You lose against Michigan, 35 to 10. You lose against Michigan State. That one was close, only 10 points. And then you get blown out 66 to three. Mm. against Penn State. How are you going to do in those games this year? The difference is you play Michigan a lot earlier, but the thing is, after basically once the calendar turns to November, I'm going to say it, I think they got a tough four games, and I know Indiana's one of them. You play Michigan State, yeah, that was your closest of the big-time losses that I mentioned, so maybe you can get a win at home against Michigan State, but I'm not necessarily going to say, woo, fear the turtle in that game. Um, Then you play Indiana on Dave's birthday. Yes, you beat Indiana last year, but Indiana should be a little better. They should be healthier also. And as well, it's in Indy, not in Maryland. So I don't really know how to gauge that one right now. Then you got Ohio State. Yeah, you're getting them at home, but still they're Ohio State. And then you get Penn State. They blew you out in your stadium. Now you get them in Happy Valley to end the year. I would, like, I don't know. I don't know if you want these opponents late in the year like you got them or if you wanted them earlier in the year. But this is a tough, backloaded schedule where you get Michigan early, you get the rest of the three in your final four weeks to end the year. What's going to be positive, hopefully, for Maryland Mm -hmm. by that point, Saturday, November 3rd, and you've got four games left, Mm -hmm. you're going to be tested in certainly at least three of the four, if not four of the four games. They could be a six-win team at this point if everything goes right for them, like I said. They're going to see where they're at at Mm -hmm. the end of the season playing these games Mm -hmm. and playing these teams, which should be helpful for them. They'll be able to see... What have we done better? What still needs to be improved upon? Mm -hmm. And where are we at? Where are we at as a team? Where are we at in terms of growth? Where are we at in terms of, okay, you know, our quarterbacks got better, our running backs did this much better, Mm -hmm. you know, type of thing. What can you see and look at? And as a head coach, you're looking left, you're looking right, offense and defense. I feel pretty good about where we're at. Or, Mm -hmm. man, we're, we're still giving up, you know, 30 points a game. We, we we cannot do that. That's going to be really good, especially, I think, in a year where, like I said, I don't see Maryland being a top dog. I don't see mm-hmm. them sliding into the, the, the even the middle of the pack this season. A year away, maybe a year away from, from people kind of turning some heads and being like, whoa, Maryland mm-hmm. is coming out of nowhere, even though they're not. They're making yeah. the gradual push. But that's a that's a good thing for for the team like Maryland will need because they're not going to be competing for mm-hmm. the, the the Big Ten East title. They're not going to be competing for the, the the Big Ten title overall. But they're going to be competing for how are we doing this season? Are we getting better? Are we growing? Are we are we improving on things on and on areas where we really struggled last season? And those games will be a really good testament of where they're at. Well, I mean, another good thing for them also is that hey, you know what? We don't have to play Wisconsin like last year. They had to play Minnesota, Northwestern, and Wisconsin. That is two of the top teams from the other division on top of Minnesota, who was a bottom feeder last year. 
You get Minnesota. This time it's at home. You beat them on the road, so maybe you can beat them at home. You get Illinois at home, which should be an easy win for you against the Illini. And then you go to the Hawkeyes. Like I'll, like you said, I will take the Hawkeyes at Iowa over playing the Wisconsin Badgers because the Badgers are just a better team and always seem to win their side of the Big Ten. But I think the important thing conference-wise will come down to how do you do against Minnesota, against Rutgers, against Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana. Those teams that are not the top four in your division. Because let's say, let's just say miracle season happens. You go one, two, three, four, five, and oh in those five games. Minnesota, Rutgers, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana. You go five and oh. Then if you go at least two and one in your non-conferences, you're at seven. If you do beat Texas and go three and oh, then you're at eight wins at the end of the year. Then you're feeling glad that, hey, we didn't beat the top four teams in our side of the Big East, but we finished with a positive record. We finished with eight wins, maybe nine wins, because then you'd have a bowl game to play as well. And this could be the year where people go, all right, maybe in 2019 we got to pay a little bit more attention to the Maryland Terrapins. But this is where we're going to turn it on to you guys. What do you think? Down below in that comment section, should we fear the turtle this year? What do you think about the offense with Mike Canada? What do you think about Matt, this defense, Matt, Matt Canada? Canada. Mike's his brother. Mike, Mike, Matt, Matt Canada coming over from LSU. What do you think about him? What do you think about the defense? And what do you think the win-loss total will be for the Terrapins this season? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. But, Brandon, let's move into the next team that we are looking at, and that is the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. One of the only years that I can remember that they haven't been at the bottom of the Big Ten East. So congratulations, Scarlet Knight fans. You beat out the Hoosiers and the Terrapins for three wins in the conference, four wins overall. And the first question I want to ask you, B, has to do with the offense. Kind of sticking where I like to start these segments because I am an offensive-minded guy. The big question for new offensive coordinator John McNulty has to do with the quarterback. Does he go with the senior in G- Gio Racino, Racino. Racino, or does he go with the new arrival, Arthur Sikowski, who, get this, is a 6'5", 215-pound quarterback with a strong arm. If you, Who are you going with, or who would you go with if you were McNulty? The senior quarterback or the freshman quarterback? Well... I am certainly not liking the experience that we've been getting mm-hmm. from Rashino. And that's that's because if you look at his stats the last two seasons with Rutgers, seven games in 2016, not even a thousand yards, five TDs to five picks. Last season, nine games, mm-hmm. completed 47 passes and a hundred attempts, 517 yards, two TDs, one interception. This guy's not doing anything for me. He's not doing anything. So I am 100% going over to Sitkowski. Mm-hmm. And, you, I mean, in what you said right there, he, he's going to give you a better opportunity to win. Mm-hmm. He's going to be more effective. And I, and I know earlier when we were doing, I think it was the Indiana preview, I said, you know, you, you want to wait back. You don't want to throw the, the young guy into the, the fire 
too soon, mm-hmm. and most likely they're not going to because they're not they don't feel ready to have him go. But they had other options. Yeah. You got Rashinho and you've got Sitkowski, it seems like, right mm-hmm. here. This is kind of the, the, the push. And if it's between one or the other, Sitkowski, 100% of the time, because you're going to get more better play, you're going to get better productivity, and you're going to see a more productive offense from an offense that's been pretty stagnant. It's really surprising that they were able to be better than Indiana and Maryland last year. Well, and the thing that I kind of look at and I'm just going to base it off of the two teams that we've looked at before you look at Rutgers last year and you look at what you got you mentioned a hundred or 517 yards from what they had last year but he only threw a hundred passes all year like I had to look at that and go what like I get that they also had another quarterback who threw also 133 in that season but like I look at it and go, all right, if I give you double that and I'm giving you 200 attempts now, what, do I finally get to 1,000 yards? Do I do I get four touchdowns instead of two touchdowns? That's the big thing for me. The yardage is whatever. Like, yeah, getting over 1,000 yards for a quarterback is kind of maybe. It's not like a running back where it's like, man, you got 1,000 yards. That was a really good season. But you're only getting into the end zone seven total times throughout the air, and 19 total times on the ground where Gio only had one touchdown on the ground. So he attributed uh, three touchdowns last year to where you look at Indiana, Ramsey, who we already talked about, 205 passing attempts, and he wasn't the only guy. They also had uh, leg out last year. He also had 10 touchdowns in those 200 attempts. Then you look at what Maryland had last year, their main starter in Max Bortenschlager, he had 233 attempts, also 10 touchdowns. So, I mean, that's a big thing for me, too, is who's going to give you the better chance? And you know what? With a team like Rutgers, where even if you do throw out the freshman and end up last in the Big Ten this year or last in the Big Ten um, East is it necessarily going to be the worst thing in the world? I know fans are going to get angry because it's like, oh, we've got less wins than last year. But, like, you look at the teams you beat last year, you beat Illinois, which whoop-de-doo, you beat the Illini, you beat Morgan State, you beat Maryland, who, all right, that's a step up from the first two. Purdue was probably your best win, and some people may look at that and say it was a fluke win. Like, put that in Purdue, put in a different situation, play that game again, you don't win. And I know fans are going to say, doesn't matter, we won the game. But, I mean, look at the other games. Like, Indiana, 41 to nothing, you get blown out. A Nebraska team that wasn't even that good to where their coach got fired, you lose 27 to 17. Eastern Michigan, you got them at home and you lost 16 to 13. So, I mean, this team needs a change at the quarterback position in my mind. Because the most important thing, I think I said it during the Indiana preview, B, the most important thing is getting into the end zone. Thanks, John Madden. That's how you play football. Whichever quarterback is going to do it. And you know, if the strong-arm quarterback, the strong-arm freshman can give you a chance to get into the end zone more in John McNulty's first year, you go with him. 
You know what's really interesting in reading a little bit more about Sitkowski mm-hmm. is that this this is a kid who was committed to go to Miami mm-hmm. and flips over to Rutgers. Because pe- there's a better pe- chance to start. People would say, well, what's going on? It's a better chance You've to start. you got a chance to win. And he'd be saying, I've got a chance to start. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Well, because you got Rozier and Perry in Miami. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you're it's, sitting it's, behind them. It's it's pretty it's pretty full mm-hmm. over there. I think that th- this is a, this kid makes the future very bright. He makes mm-hmm. the future very bright for for Rutgers and someone who just with his intangibles could be someone that got uh, ladies and gentlemen all over the place would say, "Wow!" and make mm-hmm. him go goo goo gaga over the guy mm-hmm. because. Six five, you got the you got the size, you got the frame, and what is it? You said two fifteen. Two fifteen. I mean, he's 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 got it. He's got it, mm-hmm. and 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 arm arm strength to boot. I mean, this this team may not be as far off, but they also need more pieces on the offensive side. But defensively, you look at a team that's you know you always lose your pieces. They need to be healthier. They they need to be healthier. That's going to be something that definitely helps them this year. But they also have to look at the back end of the defense. Mm-hmm. How is that going to Im- improve for them with the loss of some of their chips from last season and what they're going to be able to do to bring in and who they brought in to, to ensure that, that happens? When you're looking at the schedule this year, though, Ricky, I found it hard to... <laughs> To get any more than three or four wins. Oh, I mean, the thing first off that I want to say about Sikowski's height and weight is just to put it into perspective, he's about one inch taller than Tom Brady and the same height as Peyton Manning. And he's about 15 pounds lighter than Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was 6'5", 230. You've got Tom Brady 6'4", 225. So... He puts on about 10 pounds of muscle. He's Tom Brady, like size-wise. He's an inch taller than Tom and would be the same weight. I'm assuming you want muscle and not fat to be that weight that you're putting on, but that's where he is kind of comparison to what his body could be like. And I know college to pro, usually the bodies are a little bit different muscle-wise, but the height is still there. Also, you think strong-arm quarterbacks, the one I think of is Jay Cutler. He'd be two inches taller than Jay and about 16 pounds lighter than Jay as Jay was 231. But yeah, like you were saying with the schedule, the thing that I hate about Rutgers is the thing that I did not mention that I liked about Indiana's. Indiana last year, the thing I hated for their schedule, brand new head coach, congratulations, here's Ohio State to start the year. Um, With Scarlet Knights, you get... September 1st, all right, we're going to play Texas State. That should be an easy win. All right, congratulations. Week two, here you go, Ohio State in the horseshoe. Congratulations. Hey, McNulty, good luck with that one. If you're starting Sikowski, hey, second game of your career, congratulations. Here's the Buckeyes. Um, Good luck with that one. Like, that to me is like, I don't want that. However, you look at, yet again, just like the Maryland schedule, I look at November, murder— Worse murderous row than the last one. Wisconsin, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, good effing luck with that. Good luck with that. The good thing, though, is the schedule 
yeah, I don't like the Ohio State at the beginning. Yeah, I don't like the end. But they have winnable games. Texas State could be winnable. Kansas. We've we've looked at Kansas quite a few times. We've looked at it with Pat. There's a reason why we are so down on Kansas. And, I mean, Pat even brought up the thing of, I've never even heard it before, of, hey, maybe Kansas might not be an FBS team in the future if they keep losing so much. I haven't even thought of it like that. It would be, like, I don't remember I've ever, like, I can't remember in my lifetime if I've ever seen that happen to an FBS team, especially from a Power 5. Usually they just change a conference and go to, like, Colorado was getting beat up in the Big 12 from my early childhood, then they're a Pac-12 team, and they just move to the Pac-12. Like, Nebraska, yeah, they were a winning team in the Big 12, oh, they move over to the Big 10. But I look at... Those two games, Buffalo could be a winnable one. You win those, there's three and one in your non-conference. Then what do you do against, to me, the Indianas, the Marylands, the Illinois? Because I didn't mention that October 20th game. Northwestern's not an easy opponent either. So, like, really this could be a team that four or five wins, six wins is maybe like, yes, that's the best season we had because we beat Indiana, Illinois, and Maryland, I don't see all of that happening. I see maybe one for four wins, two maybe, so that's why I'm going to say four or five. But, I mean, really for Rutgers, even if you got four or five wins, you can at least hang your hat on, woo, we're, like, if you got five, yes, we're better than last year. We got five wins. Rutgers is going to be Texas State, mm-hmm. Kansas, okay, Buffalo. That's it? They might beat Illinois. Damn, you say we win that game? Might. I said might. Yeah, but a might means you're giving us a bigger chance than we've given them on any other team. I'm giving them a chance, but I saw the Illinois-Rutgers game last year. Yeah, it wasn't a good game. At Illinois, and it was horrible. Yeah, but that was a lot of freshmen. But uh, here's the thing, though. Look at the last five games for this team. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. That is just, I mean, how bad is the loss going to be in each one? It would be my question. Yeah. Rutgers is going to be the worst team in this division this mm-hmm. year or in, in this in this side of the conference. So, they they ha, they are taking a step backwards this year and they're going to take that step backwards to be able to move forward, but this year is not going to be fun for them. The thing that I find funny and I got to pull up the other two schedules that we are the other two teams that we've already looked at the thing that I find funny is basically when you look at these bottom three teams for the Big Ten East, it's basically you look at Rutgers last year, and from the other division they played at Illinois, at Nebraska, and Purdue. They went two and two and one in those games. Maryland played Minnesota, Northwestern, Wisconsin, went one and two. Indiana they went ahead and they had an extra no, did they have an extra non-conference game? No, they didn't. They played Wisconsin, Illinois and Purdue and went 1 and 2 in those games. So basically, it's going to come down to when it comes to these bottom 3 teams, which one played the played the majority of the harder teams from the Big 12 or the Big 10 West, where basically you already get four tough teams from your own division. In this case, with Northwestern and Wisconsin, good luck. You've got six hard games compared to just, what, the other ones have about, what, five? Because they might have one of the 
three where Rutgers has two of the three from the other conference. So, I mean, that's why I could agree with you where I wouldn't be surprised if Rutgers was at the bottom of the division solely on the fact that they play Wisconsin and Northwestern this year. Yeah, it's 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 not fun. It's not going to be fun for them. And, again, are there things that are going to be better? Mm-hmm. I think the quarterback situation is going to be better. Yeah. Because I think they're going to go with Sitkowski. They should. They mm-hmm. should. And I think they're going to give him a real opportunity to grow here in his true freshman season. I would like to think that because if they even want a chance at getting better, mm-hmm. you got to go with him. I mean, the only thing I'll throw in there is it'll all come down to how important winning games is. Because you've got Chris Ash, who this will be his third year at the head of the Rucker Scarlet Knights. 2-10 and 10 overall his first year, 0-9 in conference, 4-8 last year. Three and six overall. The question will be, and I think this will be the deciding question. I think the answer is simple too, because I think I think between the two, Arthur and um, Geo, basically you can get the same amount of wins with either one. But I just have a worry that Rutgers is going to go. Yeah, you know what? We like RAD. We can't see a step back. We can't go back to being a two-win team. If we do that, I might lose my job. No, we're going to go with the senior quarterback to try to win more games. I don't know if that would be a decision that would behoove the Rutgers Scarlet Knights because, you know, I could see them losing just as or winning just as few games with the senior quarterback than the freshman quarterback, but I wonder if that'll play into it towards like, no, 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 we can't start the freshman because if I lose too many games, I could lose my job as head coach. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think necessarily that's that would be happening as in, mm-hmm. in this situation. I, I think you're you're looking at, okay, where can we see some positions where we can insert guys and see like an immediate immediate growth and and hopefully some improvement. Mm-hmm. And the quarterback position would certainly be one of those. And I, and I would like to think that that'd be a trickle down effect from there. The running game mm-hmm. needs to be better. Uh, and they need to have more consistency there. But maybe, again, I think that starts at the quarterback spot. And they they just they didn't have that last year. They didn't have that the year before. Now Rutgers hopefully does. And, again, it's not bad with for Rutgers, the situation that they're in right now in terms of they're not the best team. They don't have the best roster mm-hmm. here in the Big Ten East. Maybe the future is now. Mm-hmm. Maybe the future is now. Maybe you do start him. I don't think there's a problem with coming to that conclusion and saying, okay, we want to get better. We're going to start now. The other question I'm going to ask you has to do with the defensive side of the ball for Rutgers because this is a team that, I mean, didn't have as many injuries as the other team we mentioned in Maryland, but they've got a few big injuries coming off one of those being Tyreek Maddox-Williams, who's coming off of an ACL injury. Um, How important is this defense going to be for the Scarlet Knights? Because we've talked at nauseam about the offense, about this quarterback situation. Is the defense going to play a big, like, if this team wins five games, maybe six, are we looking at it going, man, this defense kept that offense in games, and that's why they won those 
five to six games. The defense is definitely going to be the... the I like how you smile. Like, you really think this team's going to win six games? Yeah, because let's be honest (laughs) about it, they're not. But I, I, I... I do believe the defense would play a big a big role in that. The mm-hmm. defense will probably once again play a big role into why Rutgers is able to to win some of their games if they do it. Um, but it, it it's it's definitely going to help with getting those guys like you mentioned mm-hmm. back from injury. Yeah, it, it it's certainly not going to hurt. I mean, that's kind of duh. But it the the one thing is is you know how are you in terms of depth. How are you in terms of depth? And for Rutgers on defense, they are thin. They're very thin. Mm-hmm. So they can't afford injuries. They're going to be asking a whole lot of new guys to step in and step up right away. That's what we're going to see, I think, around the defensive side of the football for Rutgers. They're going to need new guys who haven't had full-time playing but in the past or completely new guys who are true freshmen have to step in. And say, here you go, good luck, and don't get hurt because we have no one behind you. So there's there's going to be that while the defense is in in certain spots fairly strong. It's mm-hmm. going to be, like I said earlier, the back part of that defense, which is where you're going to have the question mark and where you're going to fill the holes voided uh, after last season. Well, the final thought that I'll make, and then you'll make your <clears throat> final thought before we move on, is basically one of the only positions we didn't talk about yet, and that is the running back position. If this is going to be a team that starts a new quarterback, meaning they go with Sitkowski and they go with the true freshman, I am looking at a backfield of Jonathan Hillman, who's coming over from Boston College, and and Raheem Blackshear. They need to be able to help this team out, especially help that quarterback out, because yeah, I know in the receiving game, people are going to bring up Jerome Washington, who is a tight end that people are saying could be an NFL caliber tight end. But like, you look at Hillman, he was a 600 yard back, almost 600 um, and a half yard back at Boston College last season. You look at Blackshear, yeah, with the two guys ahead of him, Martin and Edwards, he only got 238 yards last year, but had the best, like, besides. Um, Josh Hicks, he had the best average on the team, averaging almost six yards per carry last year. Those two need to be anchors for this team to help out that quarterback to take some pressure off of him, especially if it is Sitkowski being the younger quarterback. That is a position, especially offensively, I think, that will be interesting to watch this year for the Scarlet Knights. What's your final thoughts on Rutgers? I think the... Word for Rutgers this year is going to be uncertainty. Okay, uncertainty on defense, uncertainty on offense outside of where they could be at quarterback if they go with the young guy. Mm-hmm. That's going to be something for the Scarlet Knights. They're going to have to get past that, and I think because of that, though, they're going to really see struggles this season, probably more so than what they felt last year. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Are we right about Rutgers, wrong about Rutgers? What do you think about Rutgers heading into the 2018 season, the 2018 campaign? What do you think? Let us know down below in that comment section. And, Brandon, now we are moving into the top four of the division, the big teams. These are the teams of why I call this the Big Ten Beast and not just the Big Ten East. We are looking at... 
the Michigan Wolverines and Brandon, I will say, Jim Harbaugh would not be happy with me today. He would not be a happy camper with me. You're not wearing khakis. No, it's not because I'm not wearing khakis. It's because before the podcast, I had chicken. Oh, you know how, no. You know how Jim Harbaugh says you shouldn't eat chicken because it's a nervous bird and if you eat the chicken, you will gain the nervous qualities of the chicken and you'll just be nervous. That's why this whole podcast, if you notice, I've probably been a little bit more nervous than usual. It's because I ate that chicken beforehand and I've gained those bad qualities from the chicken. So I'm sorry, Coach Harbaugh. I will try to do better and eat my beef like I usually do with my hamburgers instead of my chicken nuggets. But we're talking about the Michigan Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh is the guy I want to ask you about first, B, because he's a guy that has gone 10 and 3, 10 and 3, and 8 and 5. In his three seasons at Michigan, six wins, seven wins, five wins in the conference. However, everybody and their grandmother is saying, it doesn't matter. You haven't beaten Ohio State. So I want to ask you this question, kind of go a little bit overreaction from the top of this one, is will this be the beginning of him? Basically, I'll ask you this. Should Jim Harbaugh be on the hot seat this season, or will this be the beginning and next year he will officially be on the hot seat. Let me give you a little bit of a roundabout answer, but then come to the answer. Mm -hmm. 2015, you lost to Michigan State, and you lost to Ohio State. Yes. 2016, you lost to Ohio State. In a very controversial game at the end, Mm -hmm. everyone has talked about it. It is still a loss. Yeah, I think they should have won that game. And in 2017, you lose to Michigan State, Mm -hmm. you lose to Wisconsin, to Penn State, And to Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Wrapping back to the answer to the question. Jim Harbaugh, if he cannot, again, it's it's great that you're able to go 10 and 3, 10 and 3, and then 8 and 5 is your down year. If 8 and 5 is your down year, you look at that and you go, okay, not a bad down year. Still a down year by your standards, Mm -hmm. but that you've set there at at the university. But if he cannot, and it's not just beat Ohio State, if he cannot win the big games including Ohio State, he's firmly on the hot seat. Mm-hmm. Firmly on the hot seat. No question about it. Especially if you can't beat, like, depending on what happened to, happens to Urban Meyer, I know that, I mean, today, and we'll get into that a little bit in the Ohio State preview, but you, we had David Pollock from ESPN go on Dan Patrick and say he thinks that it'll only be a two-game suspension for Urban Meyer you had Pat Ford on Friday on the Dan Patrick Show say that he does not think that Urban Meyer will get fired. If Urban does get fired, though, if you still can't beat Ohio State, then you have problems um, for Jim Harbaugh. The big thing, though, that has many, 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 many Wolverines kind of dancing and being like, yes, this could be the year that we finally beat the Buckeyes with Jim Harbaugh is a quarterback that we have talked about in the past. I believe we did a segment on it when he did transfer to Michigan, and that is Old Miss quarterback, or former Old Miss quarterback, Shea Patterson, is now going to be the guy for the Wolverines. He was granted immediate eligibility by the NCAA in April. He is a guy who you look at, if you put him on this team last year, he had better stats than basically everyone at Michigan a year ago. Who he had twenty two hundred over twenty two hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns. Yes, there's optimism with his arrival in Ann Arbor. How big of a boost is he going to be for this team? B. 
a uh, uh, big one, <laughs> uh, huge. Uh, it's he, <laughs> a huge boost. <laughs> a huge boost. He is though. I mean, he's going to be a, an incredible bright spot mm-hmm. for an offense that's been bleak. Mm-hmm. It's been bleak, and I think everyone knows it. Michigan fans admit to it that it's a bit. It's been the defense. It's been the defense that's really helped and guided this team yep. along since Harbaugh got there, and. However, they're going to be missing friend of the show, Mo Hurst. They are. They're going to be missing him. He's in the NFL now. They are. But a a defense under Jim Harbaugh is usually something that you do not have to worry about. Mm -hmm. But this offense is something that people have worried about. And last year... People certainly worried about it, and it was there was a finally a microscope on the offense, and you look through the microscope, and it wasn't too good. I don't know why I held this up like it was a magnifying glass, <laughs> and then tried to look at it through like I, I don't know what I was doing. It's okay, I'm not a science guy, but um, certainly Shea Patterson's going to lift up an offense that has some 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 parts. Like you look at uh, you know a couple of receivers, they've they've got some guys there. They've got Higdon on the uh, in, in the running game, and mm-hmm. I think that that's going to be something. Thing that's positive, but you need a leader. You need a guy who's going to be able to get you there, and you know, effectively hand the ball off to you, and call the you know, be calling the right plays, and be the just the right guy for the spot. And Shea Patterson, mm-hmm. while yes, he has seen injuries, which would be the only concern that I would have. He's a guy who's a good quarterback and someone who shouldn't have any trouble leading this Michigan offense, the point of concern would be an offensive line that may have holes in it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I look at it in this team this year, really the biggest thing that Michigan fans and I've been on record saying the same thing is this team has been one of the best defensive teams last two years and their talent has been wasted wasted with how bad the offense has been. And the thing at the very least that Shea Patterson coming to this team to me gives this team is basically it gives them hope that maybe this could be the year that that defense is not wasted because they're going to need it, to be honest. Like, not only do you get the other three teams that are going to be at the top of the Big Ten beast along with you, but you get Northwestern. You get Wisconsin. You get two of the three top three teams in the other side of the division. However, I look at this Michigan team, and I think that this could, like, you might call me crazy, but I think that with Shea Patterson, this could be the year that they finally turn it around. Because you look at last year, the only teams they lost to, and I know that Indiana was a close one and almost beat them, they have some of those games. I know that Florida, it was a 33-17 to 17 game. I get that. But I look at it, and it was Michigan State, who was a four-point loss, Penn State, which was a bigger loss, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. And I look at what this team has this year compared to some of those other teams, like Northwestern, the biggest question for them, their quarterback health is... Thorson going to be healthy by that time? If he is, how into the zone is he with Northwestern? Also, what kind of a team is Northwestern going to be overall? You look at Wisconsin. We've talked about them last week. That Yes, we expect them to be at the top of their division, but now that 
you know, Michigan has a better quarterback, do they kind of become even with them and can get the win there? To me, the two biggest questions on the schedule are, can you beat Penn State and can you beat Ohio State? Because, yeah, Penn State, and we're going to look at them later, yeah, they lost Saquon Barkley, they're still going to be a really good team. Ohio State, yeah, they lost some guys from last year, but Urban Meyer teams, they just reload every year. And I think if you are if you are Jim Harbaugh this year, the most important game, and I know it's like this every year, so Michigan fans, you don't have to tell me like, oh, but it's like that every year, but this year more than some. I don't care if you win one game all year, you better win that Buckeye game. You better go into the horseshoe and win that game because that's the thing I think sticking with Michigan fans the most is not just the our defense has been wasted thing, but also the you better be the Ohio State Buckeyes because I know Michigan and Ohio State fans are going to get this, but you just give kind of a concept to someone who's not a Michigan or not an Ohio State fan. When I was in high school, my geometry teacher was a huge Michigan fan. And he told us a story that, you know, back when you'd be in school at Michigan, at Ohio State, someone who goes to Michigan can tell me if it's still like this. They used to tell the students, hey, you know what? The game this week at Ohio State, if you're going to the game, don't wear blue. I know you're going to want to wear blue because you want to support the team. Don't wear blue. Blue, And the reason why they would tell them that is because if you were blue and went to the game, there's a chance that someone was going to beat you up because that's how much the two fan bases hated each other. Like, that is what this rivalry means down at the core. Now, I'm not saying that every single time fans get in fights and they beat each other up. They might. I don't know. I've never been to a Michigan-Ohio State game. I've never been a fan of either one of those teams. So luckily, I'm not going to get beat up. I'm going to wear an Illinois Fighting Illini shirt. They're going to look at me and go, oh, and then look back and kind of fight with each other. But that, to me, is the most important win on the schedule. Can they win a lot more? Yeah, but that, to me, is the most important game for Michigan. you got to win that game if you're Jim Harbaugh. Rant over. Soapbox done. And I look at it, Ricky, and I don't know (laughs) if they'll be able to do it. It's going to. We're going to see potentially a game like the overtime game that we saw mm-hmm. uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly what we could get. Except hopefully this time they're not screwed by the refs. That taken he, that he aside. That aside. Whatever. I think we're still going to we're going to see a game like that. Mm-hmm. We're going to see a game like that. I'm not even and, a Michigan fan. That game pissed me off. And. You're looking at two teams mm-hmm. with two good defenses, and you're going to look at you're going to have to look at it and go, what offense is going to be able to put them over the top? Mm-hmm. What offense is going to put them over the top? Is Shea Patterson putting Michigan over the top? No more JT Barrett. What do they do there? But it's still Ohio the Ohio State. <laughs> They'll find a way. But then you have to look at it and say it's Michigan. It's Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. He, you know, the, the last season is in the past. They'll bounce back. They'll find a way. That's exactly why we we will see a game like we saw 
two years ago. That is why to me were, of course, like the most interesting you just thing you just said was Ohio State finds a way. They're going to need to find a way for this quarterback situation at Ohio State because I have a weird feeling, and we're going to get into the other half of this with Penn State later, but I feel like because Ohio State is losing JT Barrett this year, that this is the prime time for either a Michigan or a Penn State to jump on it, to say, you know what, we are going to take the Big Ten East. And I know Michigan State fans are going to say, don't forget about us. But really, um, when you look at the rosters, I expect more out of Penn State and Michigan. And I just, I feel like this season is going to be much like last season. It's going to come down to four freaking games. It's going to come down to October 13th at home against Wisconsin, October 20th at East Lansing, November 3rd in Ann Arbor against Penn State, and November 24th, Thanksgiving weekend, at the Horseshoe. Those are the four games it's going to come down to, and I know... Um, South Bend is getting its panties in a jumble. Like, hey, what about us? Prove it. Um, that's what I would say to them. Prove it that I should say, ooh, Michigan should be scared of you because I think Michigan can walk into South Bend and get the win against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, but I just look at it and I go, are they going to go 0-4 in those Big Ten games again? Are they going to go 2-2 two and two and just lose to Penn State and Ohio State? Or is this finally going to be the year? Because part of me wants to believe it will be that this Michigan team goes undefeated the whole year and we're finally talking about them as a play undefeated playoff team for 2018, 2018-2019. Oh, well, they're going to be... You would like to think that they're going to be better than what they were last season. Mm-hmm. Eight and five. You would like to think that they could get back to their 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 ten and three mark, mm-hmm. and they can. But like you said, you look at the the re- the rest of the teams that they've got to they've got to go through, and of course the teams that we're looking at are the, at are the Michigan states, the Penn states, and the Ohio states. Mm-hmm. That's that's who we're that, and, that's who we're looking at. The, the go ahead, go and ahead. The one thing I'll throw in there is most likely if they're going to go to the playoff, they'll have to beat Wisconsin maybe twice, because most likely they'll play Wisconsin again in the Big Ten title game. Depending on how that race goes down, otherwise it's a Northwestern or a Purdue in the Big Ten title game in order to make the playoff. So we we already know about Ohio State. We mm-hmm. already know that Ohio State's going to be Ohio State. Yeah. Whether there's an Urban Meyer, there's no Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. They're going to be Ohio State. Penn State, I like Penn State a lot. I think, yes, you lose Saquon Barkley. You still have Trace McSorley. You still have a number of receivers and weapons for him to be able to throw to. Mm-hmm. Watch out for Penn State. And then Michigan State, this is a team that went 3-9 and nine two years ago. They flip that back. They go what nine and three last year. Mm-hmm. This is a team that is continuing to be hungry. I think they return like, and we'll get into them, but they return close to twenty starters. Whoa! So this is not easy. This is not easy, and of course, that's why 
you call them the beast. Mm -hmm. And that's why this is going to be one of the strongest conferences in all of college football this Mm -hmm. season. Because you're going to look at this and say you have four legitimate teams Mm -hmm. who could vie for the top spot. Well, and that's why the thing I think of is like whenever I listen to the herd talk about college football, he kind of mentions how everyone thinks that, oh, college football is the SEC. No, college football is the Big Ten because like his whole debate is you've got Alabama who is kind of taking a stranglehold over the SEC. Yeah, there's Georgia and Auburn who are also good as well, but you look at the rest of those teams and it's like, all right, it's only three teams that are there. And like two of them are in one division. They play each other. Whoever wins goes to that title game. And then it's basically been whoever wins the other division gets to lose to Alabama in that title game. Whereas the thing I love about this side of the Big Ten specifically is all four teams. And I know Michigan State took a dip for a little bit, but all these top four teams beat the hell out of each other each and every year. And then you throw a Wisconsin in there like, hey, don't forget about us on the other side to where Michigan, like, I want to be optimistic about this team this year. I do. The defense is going to be better. It, it, It returns a ton of key pieces on a team that was a number three ranked defense last year. The biggest question is what can the offense do? Shea Patterson helps. He's going to bring veteran leadership, and he's going to basically be, I'll say it, the best quarterback that Jim Harbaugh has had in his tenure at Michigan. Another question is, what about the young receivers? What about guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones? What about um, Tariq Black? Will these young will Shea Patterson be able to make these young receivers better, or will these young receivers show their youth this year? Like that to me is the big thing. Like another thing that people don't necessarily look at is you had three guys last year in this coaching staff: Jim Harbaugh, Pep Hamilton, and Tim Derevno. You had three guys in this kind of offensive room that made the offensive system. Way too complicated for a college system. It was more like an NFL system, and it showed 105th in total off offense, 91st in scoring offense, and they only had nine touchdown passes, the fewest in Michigan history since 1975. 25, the fewest since 25 years before I was born, Brandon. My parents weren't even, well, let me think. My parents, were my parents alive back then? I don't know. Maybe they were. Yeah, they were. I'm dumb. My parents were alive back then. But basically, back when my parents were my age was when Michigan had scored its fewest passing touchdowns. That's not the point. The point is, yeah, you've got Derevno's gone. You've got guys like Jim McElwain coming in and Hamilton's still there. But what is this offense going to look like? Is it going to be one that Shea Patterson can say, yes, this is my offense, I get it. Can the other guys get it? Can they produce on the field? Because if they can't, then I feel like it'll be the same as last year. It'll be, hey, they beat the teams they were supposed to beat. They played the top three teams along with them. They played Wisconsin, couldn't win, and they lost. I think we will see a Michigan team 
that we saw in year one, year two of Harbaugh, maybe a 10, a 10 win team with the ceiling being a 12, 13 win team. Like I think the ceiling for this team with Shea Patterson is undefeated regular season, big 10 title win, college football playoff. That is the ceiling for this team. The floor for this team, I'll say nine wins to be nice, but nine, 10 wins is the floor. So either nine or 10 wins, 13 and 0 college football playoffs is the ceiling. And when you said the the, the stat about you the know them throwing nine passes. nine passing touchdowns last year, and mm-hmm. the last time Michigan did that was in 1975. You are bringing in a guy who's going to be leaps and bounds better than nine passing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. A healthy Shea Patterson with his ability and his arm mm-hmm. and his you know the the way that he can read defenses. You've got a very capable quarterback at Michigan for the first time, I think, under Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and I know that Wilton Spate was there, but this is this is exciting. Wilton Spate was okay, I'll, but this is exciting. I'll take you through them really quick. 2015, their main starter was Jake Rudock. Had about he had three thousand yards, twenty touchdowns. Nine interceptions. Yeah. Rudeck was good. I forgot about um, Rudeck. Then the next year, that was the one where John O'Corn came in, transfer from Houston, but it was Wilton Spate's job. He had about 2,500 passing yards, 18 touchdowns, seven interceptions. And then last year, it was John O'Corn's job with Brandon Peters and Wilton Spates also. And John O'Corn, who was their leading yardsman, two touchdowns, six INTs on the year. Four for Peters, two for Spate. It was not a good year last year. Shea Patterson needs to be more like that Jake Rudock from 2015. Yeah, I'll be honest, I forgot about Jake Rudock. I, for, mm-hmm. I forgot about John O'Corn, well, he too. He went to the NFL and has been nothing because I think he got drafted by like the Patriots or the Lions where they don't need a starting quarterback. And, and so, that, so that's my fault in forgetting about them. But let's say this. To have relevance since 2015, to have, re, I think, mm-hmm. true relevance at the quarterback since... 2015 mm-hmm. and that's three years ago now so you you need to have somebody and that's that that's that's a 10 and three team mm-hmm. that was a 10 and three team and and Michigan if they set themselves up if they're able to win you know a couple of these games against the the, the big guns they could be one or two in the conference looking at it Jake Rudock, do you know uh, what NFL team he's on right now? The Why Lions. He, he's on the Lions still. Do you know how many passing attempts he's had in the NFL? I think it's zero. Five. Oh, five. He's three of five with an interception. That's what he is. No touchdowns. They don't need you. They need uh, my starting quarterback, Matt tw- Stafford, he's got 24 for fantasy purposes. Yards. He's got 24 passing yards. That's why I've pretty much forgot about Jake Rudock is because he got drafted by the Lions and basically got shoved behind Matthew Stafford because – they don't need them. But before we wrap everything up with the Wolverines, final thoughts on Jim Harbaugh and Michigan in 2018. I think Jim Harbaugh is going to make a lot of people happy this year mm-hmm. because he's not going to be 8-5. and five. He's going to be better than that. We're not going to have the pitchforks next year. Next year's preview is not going to be pitchforks. But at the same time, I think he could upset people because I don't know if he'll win the game that they want him to win. I think that like this team could be a undefeated team, Big Ten champion, 
and a playoff team this year. Do I think that's going to happen? Maybe not right now. Like that Ohio, like you got to prove to me that you can win that game. I think this is going to be back to a ten-win team. They lose to Ohio State. They lose to Penn State. And I'm I wouldn't be surprised if this is even if this team loses one game all year, wins the title, and he loses to Ohio State. He's on the hot seat next year. Just that's how it's going to be. I feel like this is going to be. You, a, you said. You said. Sorry to cut you off, mm-hmm. but you said that if he loses one game yeah. and they still win the title, meaning that he would that he would still be on the hot yeah, seat if me, it was the loss to Ohio State. I don't think so. Winning, winning the title can certainly ease the pain of losing to Ohio State, but I'm if, being then, a little over dramatic. I know, but okay. I'm I'm calling you on it. Yeah. Because that could ease the pain of losing well, to Ohio State. And my point being is that game means a hell of a lot to Michigan fans. That's why I was going to get to, I see them right now maybe being a 10-2 and two team, losing to Penn State, losing to Ohio State. Michigan fans next year going, I don't care if we went 10-2, and two, you're on the hot seat, we lost to Ohio State. This needs to change now. That is how important that game is going to be this year. This is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. How's the Wolverines going to look this year? Will Harbaugh be on the hot seat next year? Will they be a playoff team this year? Because this is probably the first time in a long time that Michigan, well, really, we've been talking about playoffs with them since Harbaugh got there just because of name alone. But this is the first time I could see them realistically getting to the playoff, although I've been all over Michigan in the years past. Does not matter. Let us know what you guys think down below in that comment section. And Brandon, we're staying in the state of Michigan, going from Ann Arbor all the way over to East Lansing. Going to preview the Michigan State Spartans and got a little bit of breaking news to start this one, Brandon, as I am looking at an article from ESPN. This one posted mere hours, about four hours ago from when we're recording the podcast Right now, apparently today at Michigan State camp, Josiah Scott, one of their top cornerbacks, will be out two months with an unspecified injury. So because of this, let's start off with the defense. And the big question I'm going to ask you is, this defense, one of the big things was cornerbacks. They had a secondary with 6'3", Justin Lane coming back. They had Josiah Scott coming back that was going to form a good tag team at cornerback. Now it's Scott missing two weeks. If we go two weeks from today, April 6th, that sets him up for maybe a possible return at the their second Big Ten, our Big Ten game against Northwestern on October 6th. So think about it. He could come back Northwestern, Penn State, Michigan. How big of a loss is this going to be for the Spartan defense 2018 to start the year? Well, well, here's here's number one. So they return, they were returning nine starters mm-hmm. uh, from a defense last season. They were number seven in the nation in total defense, number two in rushing defense. And, uh, you know, before hearing that injury, you're looking at a secondary that was possibly going to be the strongest in the Big Ten East, if not mm-hmm. in the Big Ten in general. So hearing that you're going to be without him for some time is not good, but you have backups in Tyson Smith and Josh Mm -hmm. Butler. So those are two guys who are going to be able to step in and be very capable of doing the job. Well, not only that, um, Coach D'Antonio, after 
the injury happened, said, and I quote, we'll be all right. We'll have five or six. And the and the two guys who just got here, um, Davion Williams and Chris Jackson, are very good players. Then you also had Paul Haynes, who is the first-year secondary coach, basically say that, hey, we got 19 defensive backs on the roster. It's going to help overcome the loss of Scott. But this defense is going to have to play well, mainly because of, like I just mentioned with Michigan, where just in that game alone, they get Shea Shea Patterson. You got to counter with a good defense. I know it's one game, but that's one team that's in your own division that got better on the offensive side of the ball. What I just love is that D'Antonio, two years ago, Mm -hmm. his team stinks. We're all wondering, what is going on? What happened? He goes 3-9. and The team goes 3-9. and He coaches Mm -hmm. a team to 3-9. and They turn right back around, bounce back to 10-3 and last season. And now we're looking at, and I mean, and that was under a defense that, again, mm-hmm. was a top defense in the nation. The, the team as a whole returns 19 starters. Mm-hmm. You look at this and you go, wow, he is doing one hell of a job. And he is doing some outstanding recruiting. And this defense, he's building it up, and it's just going to get better and better. Again, like I said, you're looking at a secondary that all the secondary positions, they're all covered, and they're all covered by guys who are outstanding, are true leaders, have done things to show that they're leaders, and you know if they can stay healthy, are going to continue to anchor this defense. Mm-hmm. I just, I just think that that's incredible, and we certainly cannot write Michigan State off. As, oh, you've got Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and and then that Michigan State team. No, no, no. Michigan State is definitely going to be vying for one of those top two spots. And when these four teams battle it out and they fight each other, I'm going to be really curious to see who comes out on top. Well, the thing that I'll compare it to is, I know they're different sports, but I'll compare what you just brought up to the other coach on campus for the Michigan State Spartans and Tom Izzo. It's like in the 2010-2011 season where they went 9-9 and in conference or the 20, oh, the 06-07 season where they were 8-8 eight and 7th eight and in conference where it's like, man, what's going on with Michigan State? Usually they're a team that's up towards the top, like 12 wins, 13-10 in conference. And those were two years where it's like second round, second round, NCAA second round. Yeah, they still make the tournament because everyone makes the tournament. Um, So it's a little different in that sense from football. But that's what I'll almost compare it to because what happened with D'Antonio, he bounced back just like Izzo does. Like offseason, boom, we bounce back, here we are. And with Michigan State, they are to me the only team. They're the team in the Big Big Ten East, I will say. See, I'm almost doing what you did, calling it the Big East. They're the team that I look at and go, how do I gauge this team this year? Because, like, Ohio State's still going to be good. Penn State's still going to be good. Michigan got a little bit better. But Michigan State didn't get worse. Now, this injury makes it worse. Are people going to basically, I'm going to use the Ravens mantra with Ray Lewis, next man up. Will there be a next man up of this depth? that they are talking about today at camp. But 
I look at it, and okay, last year you lose to Ohio State, you lose to Northwestern in triple overtime, you lose to Notre Dame. And then so far this year, you don't have to play Notre Dame. Yeah, you play Northwestern again, but it's at home. And, I mean, the biggest thing that I love about this Michigan State schedule, Penn State's the only tough opponent you have to play on the road. You get Michigan at home. You get Ohio State at home. You get Northwestern at home this year. You get Purdue at home this year. It's like the schedule makers in conference said, here you go, here you go, Michigan State. We're going to give you a gift so that, not saying that they need the gift, but here's a gift to maybe help you stay competitive with these other four teams because I could see this team beating a Michigan. I could see this team beating maybe an Ohio State at home because they have that home field advantage. That is something later in the year that we could be looking at going, damn, if those games are reversed and they're maybe on the road, maybe they don't win those games. But because they're at home, they had that advantage, had that crowd behind them, and got a win. Absolutely. And this this that's why when I'm when we were talking about Michigan mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of all all the improvements that Michigan's making and everything like that and how, you know, we're talking about Ohio State big time and mm-hmm. and you know how that's, you know, the game that uh, they don't want to lose, they definitely want to win it. I'm thinking the whole time I'm thinking Man, you're gonna you gotta worry about that other Michigan rival, though. I mean, they're mm-hmm. n- they're nothing to just you know write off. No, and then certainly then Penn State as well. But I mean, when you're 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 we're talking about Michigan State mm-hmm. right now, I'm thinking they can't they can't write off Michigan State. They can't do that at all. Michigan State is 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 they are they are lining themselves mm-hmm. up to look like a powerhouse team this year. Well, and I mean, I look at it too is like. They bring back Lewerke. He's going to be the quarterback. And a really good quarterback at that. They bring back Felton Davis and Darrell Stewart, who were both 50 catch receivers last year. And they bring back LJ Scott, who led the team in rushing for the third straight year last year. Um, However, he has yet to break the 1,000-yard mark, which he could do this year. But, I mean, I I look at just those three things, along with the defense and like we mentioned, depth there. Yeah, they lose Scott, but they have depth at the secondary position. And I'm going to say it. This team, it might sound stupid to say this, this could be the dark horse team in the Big Ten East. I know that dark horse usually means, like, you're not a really good team and then people expect you to be good. But, like, I think this is this is the team that if you hear us talk about this division, you could get the kind of – What's the word I'm looking for? The not the interpretation, but you could get the idea that it's like, oh, Brandon and Ricky treat this team like the redheaded stepchild, where it's like, oh, they're in the room, but they never want to give Michigan State the credit. Like it's like, ooh, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. Oh yeah, there's Michigan State too. This team could be sneaky this year, to where it's like everyone's focusing on Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State to start the season, and Michigan State just does its job, does its job, does its job. By the end of the year, when we get to that November 10th game, boom, we're talking about Michigan State possibly maybe being a playoff team, especially if they beat Penn State at Happy Valley, especially if they beat Michigan at home this year. This could be a team that becomes sneaky in this division 
and could take it right from those other three teams if they're not careful. Yeah, they definitely could. And when you when you look at the schedule, I mean, they start off with their 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 first four games should certainly be wins: Utah State, mm-hmm. Arizona State, Indiana, Central Michigan. Especially Arizona State, new head coach who has kind of got the John Gruden effect with uh, Coach Herm Edwards, who a guy who has been in the broadcast booth in the analyst booth now coming back to coaching. So four four wins there to mm-hmm. start. And then I even think you get a win against Northwestern. You're off to a five and zero start. And then you look at the the end of the the season where you've got in the last we'll say four at Maryland, Ohio State, Nebraska, Rutgers. Nebraska and Rutgers should be wins. Maryland should be a win. Mm-hmm. You you should most likely win three out of those last four games with the Ohio State game, like you had mentioned before, at home. Mm-hmm. There's a, You can build a lot of wins in this schedule for Michigan State. Circle that November 17th game at Nebraska. Reason why I say that could be a trap game for them. And the reason You why, love trap no, games. No, the, you re, do. The reason why I say that is if this is a Michigan State team, if everything falls into place and they beat Penn State, they beat Michigan— and then they come off of a big win against Ohio State. That's the only thing I would worry about is coming off of a big win against Ohio State. You're feeling good. Yes, we're at the top of the division. Yes, we beat all three of them. And you just lose that focus for a split second going on the road against a North against the Nebraska team who, yes, I mean, people in the Nebraska preview kind of disagreed with you, Brandon, so we didn't have... Nebraska doesn't have to fix everything, but this could be a team. Their coach said it. I know. But later in the year, this could be a team that, with Scott Frost, kind of could steal a win against Michigan State. So that, to me, is why this could be a trap game, especially if the Spartans get a big win at home against the Buckeyes. So you're saying the Spartans could be like the Clemson? Almost, and that yeah. loses that loses yeah. to Pitt mm-hmm. in the second to last game of the season. But good thing is Clemson still made the playoffs for just, them. Yes, it gotta, was very good. Just got to win the Big Ten title. Just got to win the Big Ten title with one loss. I just think there's a lot of good things going in in mm-hmm. the right direction and continuing to trend upwards for Michigan State mm-hmm. here. And yes, I know that you you talk about the Nebraska. Um, game and it's it's on the road. It's at Nebraska. Scott Frost by by that point again he may not have fixed everything that he wanted to fix, which was his quote, not mine. Um, and <laughs> I think that he will have been able to bring his guys along. Again, I don't see them being this good team, Nebraska, but. Mm-hmm. Michigan State, they also don't see them, if they're as good as we think they'll be at the end of the season, letting up. Letting up and allowing that to happen. Here's the thing I'm going to ask you, and this is just me kind of thinking about this right now, is when it comes to LJ Scott, like he's a guy that I had just kind of brought up earlier where he could be a key piece to this team. When we look at him... Overall, are we going to see a guy that we think of the same, that we put in the same kind of a, I don't want to say pedic, like, because he's not going to be drafted as high. Is he going to be the same guy that we look at and be like, okay, he's closer to a Le'Veon Bell type of guy where could get drafted by an NFL team and be a quality running back for that team? I'm not going to say he's going to be on the same level as Le'Veon because Le'Veon's on a different level. 
Or will he be a guy where it's like Jeremy Langford, where it's like, man, he was really good in college, but just, man, the NFL, he just, there was something different. Like, is he a guy that makes that next step that we're talking about in drafts and in big boards this year with his play? Or could he even be a dark horse Heisman candidate and give a guy like Bryce Love a run for his money? Well, you if, if you're if you're them, you've got to hope that if you're Michigan State, you've got to hope that that happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I think when you have a, a guy like Brian Lewerke in there at quarterback, mm-hmm. th- this is a guy who can throw from the pocket, who can throw on the run, who can read coverage really well, uh, and trying to go with the run pass option. This this opens up everything else on the offense as well. It opens things up for the running back. It uh, allows. Well, what it doesn't allow defenses to do is to stack the box and know Mm -hmm. that you're going to be running the football. They have to be honest um, and and play you honestly in terms of their coverage and how they're going to set up defensively. Mm -hmm. So that, again, all works from the quarterback position and what they believe you have a quarterback and how, I guess, shifty and schemey you can be there and how creative you can be. Michigan State can do that, and that's what's going to allow this offense to grow and get better and they were what ranked number 35 in points per is it per uh possession last last year i think so i mean that's that's really impressive that's very impressive they're they're not wasting possessions when they get the football they score points because let me put it this way i'm looking right now at the career Rushing yard leaders for Michigan State. Right now, L.J. Scott in his three years is at almost 2,600. He's at 2,591. The 10th leading rusher was Steve Smith, who ran from in 77, 78, 79, and 1980. He had 2,676. If L.J. Scott this year has close to what he had last year, I rounded up by two yards, if he has 900 yards this year, that will put him at a career total of 3,491. He will finish sixth overall on the Michigan State rushing totals, beating out, and I know this person only had three, or these two players had only three years, but he would beat out both of them, both of the guys I had mentioned a second ago. Le'Veon had just shy of 34. Lankford only had just shy of 3,000 overall. But like I said, those guys had three years where uh, Scott would have had four years. So, I mean, that's kind of something looking at what this season could mean for Scott this year. But, I mean, getting back to a little bit of Michigan, what would you – I'm going to ask you this, and this is something that I haven't asked about any team. What would you put their odds, kind of going with the dark horse thing, what would you put their odds to make the win the Big Ten – and make the playoff. Mm. You can do it as a percentage, like a example, fifty percent chance to win the Big Ten and make the playoff. I'm gonna put it at. Let's see, let's see. <laughs> how about how about sixty percent? Okay, sixty percent. Because I mean, that's another big thing that I know that as we get up and up into these teams that I think that we're going to get into is are these teams basically going to beat each other up and make it to where no one makes the playoffs? Because like Ohio State last year, 
two losses. Penn State, two losses. At the end of the year, Michigan State had three losses. So, I mean, is this going to be a division where do you see anyone? Like I said, I could see the ceiling of Michigan getting to an undefeated season and making the play. Well, undefeated regular season, winning the Big Ten and making the playoff. Is that going to happen this year, or will we see, let's say Michigan State's really good, kind of like how a Michigan, like I'm going to use Ohio State and Penn State as the two examples because they were 1-2 last year. If Michigan State's really good and they're winning, 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 do we see one of the two things happen where, like Ohio State, you play in Iowa on the road, a la, like, the whole Ohio State thing, the reason why I brought that up too is it kind of happened to Ohio State last year. Big emotional win against number two Penn State where they won 39-38. That next week, what happened at Iowa, Brandon? Oh, it was bad. I think, what, six interceptions happened? Yeah. Or do we see something from Michigan State where they lose to two ranked opponents in the Big Ten East like Penn State? They lost to... Um, Ohio State, then the next week by three points, they lost to Michigan State. Is this just going to be a division that they just beat each other up and we're sitting there again going, wow, one of these teams should be in the playoffs, but they're not because they beat each other up? Maybe. I mean, you could. Mm-hmm. we very well could see that. I, I think for Michigan State, you could be looking at a team where you kind of were talking about with Michigan. Mm-hmm. Michigan State could be that team that – Possibly goes undefeated, mm-hmm. loses one game, loses two, mm-hmm. and then that that be it. I, that's I, that's where I could kind of see Michigan State. They they have done nothing, like you said. They didn't lose anything, mm-hmm. and then they've just added. Yeah. So you you cannot say that they would do any worse. You you certainly can't say that. They're you could only assume that they'll be at where they were last year or possibly better. Final thoughts on this Michigan State team, and where do you think their win total could be? What uh, do you think their window is? I'll say that. Did I just give that? I don't um, remember. I'm just very solidifying it for the end. Like, boom. If I haven't said already, here's what it is. Um, I think that uh, we're looking at, again, 10, 11 wins for, mm-hmm. for this team. I'm doing the math really quick. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, uh, 9 wins at worst. Nine wins at worst, undefeated at best. Um, that's the same yeah. thing for me. Like the rest of these teams will all probably have that same window. Nine win, like nine wins if you lose to Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. Um, basically, it's those three. Basically, it's those three. Those three teams and Nebraska. If you beat the Buckeyes, those are the games I'm looking at because um, I just. I smell that Nebraska game, and I just smell Ohio State Hawkeyes. You smell from last Scott year Frost because, and, his, and his national championship no, he had just, last like, year. Iowa last year wasn't a, wasn't as good of a team as we thought last year. Like usually, they're a lot better than they were last year, wins wise. Last year, they were still eight and five. I could totally see a situation where Michigan State shocks the Buckeyes, and then that next week they go into Lincoln, Nebraska. And just get the shellacking from the Cornhuskers because they're so in a euphoria after beating Ohio State. Because let's be honest, Ohio State at that point could be like a top five team 
in the country talking about them being a playoff team. That's what we could be looking at. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Is this Michigan State team loaded this year to make a run at the playoff at the Big Ten title to make noise in the Big Ten East? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. And Brandon, we are getting to the end of the podcast. We got two teams left. One of those being the Penn State Nittany Lions. And I think the first question with this team is very simple. And I'm going to ask you right off the cuff. How does this team, this team, let's be honest, they're going to be bottom of the Big Ten East this year. How can they recover after losing Saquon Barkley? It's just too big of a loss. They're going to be at the bottom of the division, right? No. right. They They just can't overcome this loss. Am I right? No, they can. That is huge sarcasm, by the they way, can. for people who don't understand sarcasm. Just what? How are they are going to overcome the loss of Saquon Barkley? Well, I, I think it's number one. You really turn the ball over to Trace McSorley, mm-hmm. and you say it's his team. Trace, you do what you've been doing the last couple of years, and now just do it even more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's what they've that they've got to be saying to him. You know those passes you you've been throwing to Jawan Johnson. Keep throwing them and throw a lot more. And and I don't want to say that they're going to be you know completely. Oh, we're going to a pass heavy offense where Trace is going to have forty five hundred yards because we made him throw it that much. No, but I think that we're certainly going to continue to see how good McSorley is and how many options and how many weapons he has at his disposal to be able to do that. And then you also look at a guy in the backfield in Miles Sanders. And it just sounds like a football name. I mean, it just it <laughs> I mean, just if sounds, only his name was Barry, like it just then it'd sounds be the ultimate football like a name. football name. So, um and uh, it's not because I thought, you know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Barry Sanders, but just Miles Miles Sanders sounds like a like a football name. And we're we're looking at him who in his first two seasons, he averaged 6.7 yards on 56 carries. So I think that you look at him and you know that he's not going to be what Saquon Barkley was. You're not going to make up for everything that Saquon Barkley did. He's not going to be mm-hmm. this guy who can who can throw passes, who's going to return everything, who's going to be outstanding out of the backfield, that's going to be the, a running back and do it all well. I'm not saying that's going to be him, but I'm also mm-hmm. not saying that he's going to only be able to run the ball effectively or you know something something along those lines. You've got a talented running mm-hmm. back now whereas Saquon Barkley was I I think he's they've all already enshrined him in Canton and that's very early, but uh, for a guy who was such a stud mm-hmm. player and you, you, they talk about five tool players in baseball. I mean, this is a you know a five tool guy in college football, and he did it all well. Everything he was asked to do, he did it. But now that he's not there, there is no reason to have concern or be concerned if you look at this offense. Mm-hmm. And if anything, where you may look for how will they be, where you may wonder do. Are they going to get the, the the same production that they got? Are they going to be happy with where they're at? Is defensively, because offense looks pretty good. Well, and the thing about the running game that is going to be vastly different from last year is I don't know if you said this stat, so I'll say it. 
Saquon Barkley accounted for 32.8% of Penn State's all-purpose yards. All the yardage, he accounted for almost 33% of all the yardage last year. And, I mean, this year, even Coach James Franklin has said that he expects to use uh, more of a rotation this season than they did last year. Because last year, you look at the stats, Saquon Barkley had everything. Miles Sanders only had 31 carries last year. Mm-hmm. Mark Allen only had nine carries last year. Those are two of the guys that you're going to hear called this year. It's going to it's just going to be more of a committee to me for the Penn State running backs. You're going to have Mark Allen, you're going to have Miles Sanders, you're going to have Jonathan Thomas, you're going to have Journey Brown, you're going to have true freshman Ricky Slade out there, which I love that name. Not only is his first name Ricky, but that last name Slade is just real slick. And rolls right off the tongue. One of my favorite names to say this year. The only question with him is he's a true freshman. So if they don't play him enough, will they just redshirt him at the end of the year? So he keeps some eligibility. And this is the thing that shocks me because of Saquon Barkley last year. Do you know what ranking the Nittany Lions were in the Big Ten and FBS in rushing last year? Because these numbers shocked me because... Saquon Barkley was their running back. They were the sixth best rushing attack in the Big in the Big Ten, and they ranked 59th in all of the FBS in rushing last year. I looked at that and went, really? They were they're not even a top 50 rushing attack with Barkley. But then I think about it. Barkley was a dual threat guy. He didn't just run the ball. They were passing to him say. as well. So I mean. I think this year it's going to be a lot more. We're getting back to the basics. We're getting back to running the ball. Yeah, we're going to pass a little bit to the running backs, but it's not going to be as much with as they did with Saquon Barkley. Also, I'm going to compare this college team almost to the Dallas Cowboys in a sense, to where they're returning four offensive linemen. You want to run the ball, it's going to be good having experienced guys on that O-line to block for not just your quarterback, but for the stable of running backs that you'll have as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, and, and and that's another reason. That's just another reason why to be, why someone should mm-hmm. believe, and why uh, Nittany Lion fans. Hopefully, you're continuing to believe as well that this team is going to be very good, and why this offense is going to continue being very capable, very capable hands. It's. It's fun. It's really, truly what, what as we continue to go through these previews and mm-hmm. now here on, on Penn State, we're at the, the third of the four big ones uh, in the in the East. It's just, it's fun. It's mm-hmm. just fun seeing how good all these teams are. And from a year ago where, you know, Michigan struggled, you, you should look, we should be looking at them and seeing, okay, they should be returning. You look at uh, Michigan State. That's a team that two years ago struggled. They're, they were back last year. They're continuing to be here. Uh, they'll, they'll continue to be around this year. The Nittany Lions and Penn State, a team that was really good last year, and that's with Saquon Barkley. They end up number two in the East, 11-2 and two overall. Could have been better. Should have been better. This is a team that, is still powering up and reloading Mm -hmm. with a lot of the same weapons they had last year. And yes, you say goodbye to Saquon Barkley, but like you said, Ricky, and this is no knock to Saquon, but 
even with him, you still weren't the number one rushing mm-hmm. attack because no. he did it all. And and now you're going to turn to something different, whether it's one guy, whether it's two guys, whatever it might be. You are still in such capable hands. If you're able to run behind an, an experienced offensive line, an offensive line with guys that are going to be able to create holes and and and, and allow you to do your job and m- break off big runs, you just continue to look. I think we're going to continue mm-hmm. to see much of the same from Penn State this year. Well, and the thing for me is before we, you know, before we get into the schedule, because I was kind of looking at that, I got one question about the defense to ask you, and that's the sense of the biggest question that they're going to have is they've got two tackle spots at defensive tackle that they're going to have to need to fill this year. And really people are going to look at it and go, oh, Kevin Givens and um, Windsor are going to be the guys that, oh, they were backups last year, they're starters this year. But, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, it's a big thing to fill because, as we mentioned, some of the, like, I look at that, all right, the tackle spot. The first thing I think of on the offense is, all right, you got to replace your tackle spots. What kind of running backs are you going to go up against this year? Ohio State, who we have not talked about this this yet, they're going to have a really good running back. We just talked about L.J. Scott for Michigan State. They're going to have a good running back. We mentioned Wisconsin last week. They're going to have a good running back. Like, there are, like, the good teams in your division or the good teams on your schedule are going to have good running backs. You got to solidify this. And the good thing is, yeah, you don't play Ohio State till September 29th. You don't play Wisconsin until Dave's birthday, November 10th. Are you going to be able to solidify these two tackle spots by the time you play those teams? Because if you don't, these teams will run all over you and you'll lose those games. Do you believe that? Yes. If, you, you think if they the, don't, these two guys, these two guys, if they're like, not are, solidified, I feel like there will be no push in the middle, and that will mean that first off, an offensive line will be able to push forward and push. The worst thing you want is an offensive line it, for a defensive line is for the O line to push you back, and I feel like if they're not able to get these two positions solidified. That's going to happen more often. Offensive lines are going to be able to get their footing against this team. More time for the quarterback. Better opportunities for holes for the running back. And there's some dangerous running backs on this schedule for Penn State. So defensive end tied for the Big Ten lead with an average of 3.2 sacks Mm -hmm. per game in 2017. That's something I'm real excited about. How can how can how can we be even better? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. If I'm the guys, I'm looking. Around, how are we better? How are we going to improve from what was already outstanding? Mm-hmm. How are we going to be better? So that's clearly showing they put pressure on the quarterbacks last year. You would assume mm-hmm. they're keeping a lot of the same. They're, they're they're keeping a lot of the same guys in the same spots. They're adding some depth that they're going to be around the same, if not better. The thing I just worry about is here's the worry I got in my head. Let's say that the weak spot, like I said, the two defensive tackle positions, if they're not as strong as you need it to be, all right, I'm going to run up the middle. Okay, to help out, I'm going to have the linebackers creep forward. First off, by running up the middle, 
you can have those ends coming off the outside. If I'm going up the middle, you guys are coming around, and you're not going to catch the running back quick enough. Um, but also, it's going to throw off that edge getting to the quarterback because, all right, you're going to bring your linebackers in to help your weakened defensive tackles. All right, I am just going to play action you, and then my quarterback is basically your edge rushers have to make a decision of, oh, crap, do I go and follow the run or do I go after the quarterback? And that, to me, could create problems for the Nittany Lions. Do I expect the defensive tackles to be a huge weakness and cripple this team? No, but it's a worry that I would have, especially with looking at the running backs, like I said, that they're going to see on their schedule. Because like I look at the schedule, and really there are five games that I'm looking at. There's a chunk of two and a chunk of three, where you get September 29th, October 13th, you get Ohio State, and then you get Michigan State back-to-back. The good thing is, you get a week off in between those games. So you play Ohio State, you get a week off, you play Michigan State. Then the three that I'm also looking at is Halloween weekend, you get Iowa, this time at home. Then the next week, you're at Ann Arbor. Then the next week, you're back home for Wisconsin. That Iowa game, I'm only throwing in there because that could be a trap game for the Nittany Lions. The true four games are how do you do against Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. Because the big thing is they didn't have to play Wisconsin last year. They didn't have them on the schedule. This year they do. How do you do against those four teams, and can you avoid a trap game loss against a team like Iowa? Uh, well, it's interesting that you bring that up, obviously, with the game last year against Iowa. They were they won, but it was close, 21-19. Mm-hmm. to 19. And in the two games that they lost, that Penn State lost last year, their defense allowed the winning starting quarterback. When it was JT Barrett, mm-hmm. he threw for 300, almost 330 yards and three or four touchdowns. Brian Lewerke mm-hmm. from Michigan State threw for 400 yards and two touchdowns. They're looking, I think Penn State looks better, more depth. And a year under their belt now in the secondary. And that's something that you don't want to see have happen again next year. But that's also, I mean, that's a recipe for disaster for mm-hmm. you. If you allow them to get that much, you're 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 going to be in a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. But Wisconsin being on this schedule, it's not fun. It, it's 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 not fun because well it could throw a wrench into their it, like it could the the reason why I say it could throw a wrench and I don't mean to cut you off but it could throw a wrench into their entire playoff their entire Big Ten chances because let's say they only lose one game between the Ohio State the Michigan State and the Michigan but Ohio State let's say they they lose only one. They lose to Michigan State. Or, no, they lose to Ohio State. All right, they're undefeated. Well, if you had a team like Purdue against or Northwestern, I feel pretty confident that the Nittany Lions could win that game. Now you have Wisconsin. It's a greater chance of loss. You lose that game, it could be like, damn it, if we had only any other team from that division on our schedule, 
we would be in the Big Ten title game right now playing against the Wisconsin Badgers, not Ohio State. Like, that's what I think this game against the Badgers could could possibly do to their end-of-the-year chances at a Big Ten title. Well, Wisconsin, we talked about them last week. They're loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, they look they look really good yep. um, and actually poised that, to win that's why I the, keep, that's the why Big I Ten. keep mentioning them as they're just like, I'm just... No, sorry, not sorry. They're my prediction to win the West. Like, I've mentioned it all preview. They're going to win the West. I'm sorry. Sorry to Matt mostly because it's going to be heartbroken. But you look at these these games, though. You you play Ohio State mm-hmm. and Michigan State and Wisconsin all at home. Mm-hmm. The only one of those games that you play on the road is Michigan. And that game, even on the road, I think you could get Michigan. So, and I'm not saying oh because well because they're at home they're gonna win, but mm-hmm. because they're at home you've 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 got maybe that that sort of advantage. You've got the crowd advantage. Happy Valley's a fun a fun place to play, mm-hmm. and uh, they you know they've got some great fans. So it's um it's one of those things where as you've said a lot of the times mm-hmm. you know you give the edge to the team that's got the better quarterback, you give the edge to the team that's playing at home. It's nice when you look at that, and if it was Ohio State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin all on the road, it's like, dang. Mm-hmm. But because they're at home, it softens the blow a bit. I'm going to say this. the You know how I said for Michigan the ceiling was undefeated? Penn State fans are not going to like me. The ceiling for this team is one loss. I don't see this team going undefeated into a playoff. If this team goes into a playoff... They lose one game, most likely to Wisconsin, if they're going to make the Big Ten title game. It's going to have to be Wisconsin, because if you lose to Ohio State, it could be, a, well, we you lost to us. We only lost one game. We own the tiebreaker. We get in, kind of a thing. And that's the ceiling. But realistically, I see this being a two-loss team yet again. The losses being Ohio State and Wisconsin. Um I feel like at worst they're a four, at worst they're a four loss team. Like pick your pick your four between Ohio State, Michigan State, Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Most people are going to pick all those teams except for Iowa in that case. But I'm still going to throw them in there because that's a trap game for me on the schedule. I feel like at worst they lose the big four games. Most likely going to lose only two of those games. And at best, they only lose one of them. But if they lose that one that I'm thinking about, Wisconsin, they still get the rematch clause in the Big Ten title game and could still possibly make the playoffs if they win the Big Ten in that capacity. I think that they could be 10-3, this year. Mm-hmm. And that actually could be good enough to get you the win over mm-hmm. here in the East because of what we've talked about with yep. this back and forth of beating each other up. Just beat and the crap out of each other. We may we may see it, Ricky, where mm-hmm. no team is undefeated. Yep. And we may see it where no team only has one loss. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a loss to one of the uh, big four teams in the Big Ten East, mm-hmm. no one's saying... That another team couldn't su- come up and surprise you, whether it is an Iowa, whether it's a a Maryland team, whether it's an Indiana team, whether it's you know Appalachian State. Not going to happen, but you know it could be one of those mm-hmm. that potentially does it. So a team could be winning on this side of the conference 
with two losses. And if last year proved anything, if the committee and the committee changes like they're basically weekly and daily, like, weekly, daily, hourly, they change everything. But from what last year told me about the Big Ten is if you have two losses, it does not matter if you win the conference. Does not matter. A one-loss team from an SEC will get in over you. And it told me that if you're a one-loss Big Ten team, you better have that conference championship because without that conference championship, you do not get into the playoff. Well, did, That's you, look what at last the, year did you look at the body of work, though? Because that was two, the, three years ago, right? Body of work, man. The body of work. But, I mean, that's why, to me, the Big Ten like the Big Ten is the most interesting college football conference because, like, last year you could have made a case that Ohio State should have got in over Alabama because they had the conference title. Some people are trying to make the case that Wisconsin should have still gotten in because, like, oh, Alabama doesn't have the conference championship. Why are we not at least five on the rankings or higher. So it's inter- it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But at the end, if I have to pick, I think this Penn State team might be a two-loss team again, losing to Ohio State, losing to a Wisconsin. I think that's – and I just want to chime in yeah. and I'm, then I'm done. Mm-hmm. But I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, at the same time, it'll be interesting to see kind of where Ohio mm-hmm. State's at in terms of – and I know we're getting to them we're gonna next. We're going to get into them next. But we're no longer seeing JT Barrett, and yes, you can say, mm-hmm. well, you know, they just kind of bring it's the next guy, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, did JT Barrett just transfer his skills and abilities to this next guy? Mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to see if if the the top dog is still as top and dog as uh, as as they have been. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section about the Penn State Nittany Lions. How far are they going to go this year? Are they going to be Big Ten East champs? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. And, Brandon, it is time to end the podcast looking at the best team from the Big Ten last year and the very best team from the Big Ten last year as they won the whole kit and caboodle with the Big Ten not only winning the Big Ten East, but also winning the Big Ten title game. And that is the Ohio State Buckeyes. And the first thing, very quickly, we're not going to harp on it for the entire preview, but we got to touch on it at the beginning. What do you think? I know that people can check out the video. It'll be above your head that people can check out. You went into detail on that's what I think with Brandon Swanson about the Urban Meyer situation. But now that we know for sure that in 14 days we are going to get an answer, what do you think is going to be the outcome of this? Will Urban Meyer be fired? Will he only be suspended? What do you think will be the outcome in two weeks? Oh, well, like I like I had mentioned on, on the, the show last week, is when everything was coming out and it, it seemed like, you know, we got we got pieces and then it was uh he didn't know anything about it. Then he came out and he said, No, I did know about it and I, I reported it to who I needed to report it to. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a book out there. It's by Tim Tebow, and it's called Through My Eyes. It's a really good book. I'm reading it right now, and it talks about you know some of the stuff that uh, you know he went through just throughout his entire life, and then his kind of relationship with Urban Meyer and Urban as a person and a coach. And mm-hmm. Urban Meyer seems like a very stand up 
gentleman mm-hmm. um, of a person. And and I truly believe that. And I would like to think that he did report what he needed to report. Especially if he said he did. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I just wasn't. I just wasn't sold on that he did it because we haven't found out for sure if he did it. And then Mm -hmm. if he did report it, who did he report it to? Did he go so as far to report it to the to the court to the Title IX coordinator Mm -hmm. or did he just report it to the athletic director? And some would say, hey, if he he just said something to the athletic director, he's done. I don't think I, I don't think I would say that. And I don't think that you could say that as. As the as the head coach, either mm-hmm. I don't think that you would want. And some people will say, "Well, he's a head coach; he shouldn't have to deal with that stuff." Well, sorry, um, it's it's life, and mm-hmm. it, it could be someone whose you know life is I don't want to say hanging in the balance, but has been terribly affected by something poor in yeah. their life. And if you're able to stop it, then then you can do that. Mm-hmm. But I had said that I in the show I had said that I didn't believe that Urban Meyer would be back if. Indeed, they found out that he didn't report it or if it was only if it was only reported in one way, then if it was only reported to a certain person, he should have gone farther. He'll stay. But there could be a suspension. But if he didn't report it at all, he, he I mean, he can't he can't come back. He won't be he won't be back to the to the university. And, and the best case scenario is that they find everything. Mm-hmm. They find that he did what he needed to do, and he's back out, um, you know, coaching football, and this whole thing's behind us. Well, and from what I've heard today, David Pollock was on the Dan Patrick show this morning, and when he was asked about it, he said he thinks that Urban's going to get two-game suspension. Two-game suspension, which would mean – Oregon State, Rutgers, he's not there. He'll be back on the sideline September 15th against TCU. Also, on Friday, Dan Patrick asked Pat Ford of Yahoo Sports what he thinks. Do you think Urban Meyer is going to get fired? And he said, you know what? I just don't know. I don't have enough. There's not enough here to make a decision. He goes, my gut reaction is that he does not get fired. So that's two people in this football atmosphere that are already leaning towards David Pollock gave a clear answer. Pat Ford did not, but both of them basically saying he's not going to get fired. And, but I just want to jump in there really quickly is, is to go along with the report Mm -hmm. that Brett McMurphy Mm -hmm. had put out. He interviewed anonymously 16 athletic directors. And they said there's, they don't see a chance of how he gets out of this. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't believe again with what Mm -hmm. they're hearing on Thursday of last week, Mm-hmm. Of and everything that they've well, heard and everything that they've seen, how does he get out of it? And possibly, how does the AD or the president get out of and, it? And and that's like one of the things that did not come out before your video did, because we recorded your video on Friday. On Saturday, the same day your video posted, an interview with Zach Smith on ESPN posted, and I played the interview for you because I listened to it this morning, and this was kind of my first takes of it was. First off, very first off, the first thought I had was two weeks, they're going to do this investigation, innocent until proven guilty, where what – because he kept saying self-defense, self-defense, self-defense. So part of me in my mind is although I don't believe it, all right, innocent until proven guilty, we have seen cases where, you know, 
like guys are attacked just as well. However, I was like already forming my opinion and two things that just didn't sit well was the first part of the interview they showed kind of made me think like, all right, this was Ohio State and Urban Meyer basically saying, you got to go out there and basically say something because he made a sure fact that he told Urban Meyer and that he made a fact to say, yeah, Urban looked at me and he said, Zach, if you hit her, you're fired. Just know that if it comes out and you touched her, you're fired, which I was like, all right, like I could see Urban saying that, but it kind of seemed a little bit of like, you're really trying to get this point across to make Urban Meyer seem like that good guy that many people thought he like thought he was before the whole misunderstanding, the lying at the media day and everything we're at right now. The second thing that didn't sit well with me is, and the only thing I wished is, I don't know who the interviewer was for the ESPN um, interview because I've never seen the guy before. Um, but when Zach Smith was talking about what he was doing, because the interviewer asked, well, you said, like, how would you basically self-defense? He goes, like, oh, I'm basically, like, put my hands out to kind of move her just so I can get, like, through the door and away from it because I didn't want to hurt her. And the interviewer, I wish he would have pressed more at this because it was so inconsistent to where he said, but how does putting your hands out create the bruises that were in the pictures that are available? And the answer that didn't sit well with me, and there was a... There was a little smile, which to me, I'm like, why the hell are you smiling? Is he he tried to answer, kind of stumbled on his answer and then went, you you just had to be there. And I'm like, that is not the answer you give. That is not the answer you give right now. I'm glad I wasn't. I'm glad I wasn't. But it's like, it just didn't make sense of like his answer to where I'm like, all right, I know I said the innocent until proven guilty. That's part of my mind. But the other 99.9% of my mind is like, this guy is talking like an abuser. He's talking like a guy who did it, who just doesn't want to... Oh, that was the other thing, where he goes, um, they go, so you told Urban? He goes, yeah, well, why didn't you tell him about everything else that was going on? And he goes, I didn't think he needed to know. And then they asked him about, should Urban Meyer have investigated? And he goes, no, he's a football coach. Why should he have to do that? And my first thought was, if you didn't do it, you got nothing – like, it's very basic. If you didn't do it, you got nothing to hide. You, the only way you don't want someone to look into it is if you got something to hide. And that, to me, is with that whole interview, why it just didn't sit right with me. And mm-hmm. I feel like what is going to happen at the end of this is that Zach Smith will be fired. And they will say Urban Meyer did enough. And he'll get like Pollock is saying maybe Z- a suspension. Zach and he'll Smith stay was on. Zach Smith was well, fired. He, yeah, he like, was fired. He's gone. Yes. Um, and then I feel like I don't feel at this point, based off of what I heard from like actual analysts in the field, I think it's I don't know if it's a two game like Pollock said today, but I have a feeling that you know if they're saying that he's not going to get fired, that anything can happen, but. It'll probably be a suspension, maybe at most a four-game suspension. He's back by Big Ten time. The the biggest thing that they need to find out is if he indeed mm-hmm. did report it, 
Who did he report it to? How yep. is it reported? Because if he did indeed report it, I think you can look at job is mm-hmm. him be getting fired is out of the question. Mm-hmm. He will not be fired. Yeah. But who did you report it to mm-hmm. and how is it reported? What it will be is it will be a learnable moment for how we're supposed to go through proper channels. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't just get a slap on the wrist. But basically, but, but you, is that but what it's going to be? But he may be given a suspension, mm-hmm. maybe, for, for a couple of games or anything yeah. like that. And I don't, I don't think that that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, any game where you can't be coaching your team mm-hmm. is not good. Mm-hmm. But if if he did do what he believed was to was was right and and how he was supposed to do it, then you know you just need to show and and, and there will be you know you need to have uh, we need to have this uh, session we ha- need to have this training this training you have to go through all of these mm-hmm. and your wife has to as well because she was included in the text messages and yeah all this stuff which again you pull in. All of this stuff, and it would mm-hmm. kind of really muddies the waters. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, all Ohio State really wants to get back to is being able to allow, hopefully, for them, Urban Meyer, to be coaching this team. Well, I thought you were going to say a simpler thing, and I was going to segue it in. I thought you were going to say they just want to get back to football. They they Let's... they they do, but at the mm-hmm. same time, I don't want to be so insensitive to. Well, they don't really care about the people. They just want to. They just want to win football. Well, I games. mean, they just want to get back to having people talk about the football team and not about a situation or a scandal about the team. And that's where we're going to kind of segue into the football team because this is a preview for their year, there's two things I've been debating in my head of what I wanted to start off with. The first one is the quarterback situation, but I feel like I go to the offense way too much. So we're going to start with the defense. I'm going to ask you this. Nick Bosa, he is a guy that many mock drafts, many big boards have him 1-2 on their big board. I'm going to ask you this just plain and simple, not beating around the bush. How special is little Bosa going to be this year? He's going to be... (laughs) <laughs> he's going to be really special. This is going to be a guy that will anchor this defense. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that you you have to be pretty excited about what he what he brings to the table. And again, this is a, this is a defense that usually, I mean with with Ohio State you look at both sides that are, you know, really good. He just he just brings an energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, we 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 know that with you know big big yeah. Bosa, but well, the um, only thing it's... I'm thinking is too bad the Chargers won't suck enough to draft him, and we could see Bosa Bosa on the um, defensive side for the L.A. Chargers. I just I think that you look at you look at this Ohio State team, and and and, and where the concern may come in is kind of the back end. Mm-hmm. Bosa and 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 his group up front are going to be explosive they're going to cause a lot of havoc in the backfield for uh, opposing quarterbacks Mm -hmm. it's going they're going to put on tons of pressure and they're going to make it tough but in in the in the back you look at kind of linebacker you look at linebacker is where that that's something where you you maybe draw a little bit of a question mark uh, on there and, and and say that these guys while yes athletic what do you, one do you have depth there you have guys coming back from injury 
that's that's the question there. Mm-hmm. And and then you go past that and you go into the secondary and then you're looking at another pretty strong unit. Well, let's jump then to the offensive side of the ball. And the biggest question, I think, for this football team is how do you replace JT Barrett? And we talked about Ohio State football earlier this offseason when Joe Burrow decided to transfer from this team and decided to go to the LSU Tigers the clear number one now is Dwayne ha- right now it's either Dwayne Haskin or Tate Martell. It looks like Haskin is the clear number one to be the starting quarterback for the Buckeyes. He's a guy that's got a cannon for a right arm, well, like a laser cannon for a right arm, and he has some heroic in him. He showed some uh heroics in the Michigan game last year. If they go, let's say Haskins is the number one guy and he wins the starting job this offseason, is he the next kind of addition in this Buckeye lineage of quarterbacks where it's been, you know, you had Miller, then you had Cardell, then you had Miller and JT, then you had JT. Is Haskins the next one just to keep this, this quarterback line moving for the Buckeyes? I think that he will certainly be good. He's got a great arm. Mm-hmm. One thing that he'll have to—I don't want to say which remains to be seen—but but Ohio State will be looking for him to run the offense, uh, you know, more smoothly, mm-hmm. and they want to be able to see that he's comfortable doing zone reads mm-hmm. and that he's effective at doing it. Yeah, um, and and uh, that they're not seeing broken plays because he's unable to do it. So mm-hmm. those are two things that I think they'll want to watch out for, but everything else is there. Everything else is there again, uh, especially that, that arm strength mm-hmm. that he's got. And and I don't want to say that the off that the Ohio state quarterback job is like a, a rotating, not a rotating, but just one guy in, he stays his years. He's good out next guy's in. He stays his years. <laughs> Like an assembly line. Yeah, exactly. A quarterback assembly line. And I don't want to say that because each one brings a different dynamic and dimension to their game, Mm -hmm. but they've all been good. Yeah. They've all been, for the the last couple of years, and especially when you have one that stays for multiple years, and they've been good since the beginning, you look at that and and you you really have to feel fortunate. And, And I think that sometimes... Fans, especially Ohio State fans, you know you've been spoiled, um, but but you're not used to anything less. I mean, that's what you expect. You expect your teams to be consistently good, and you should. But uh, now now with JT Barrett gone, and you, you you have Haskins coming in, it's it's going to be interesting to see how things might be any different with him in there running it than what it. You know, you'll be interested to see the differences between what JT Barrett had, what Haskins has, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and kind of go from there and and see. Okay, do we feel like going forward we're going to be really comfortable with this guy, or mm, we may uh, we may see ourselves in a little bit of a quarterback competition? Well, the thing I find funny is you say quarterback assembly line, and I'm just gonna tell you I'm going back a decade. This is the last decade of Ohio State quarterbacks. And I'm going to tell you the starting quarterback that year and the record they had. You ready for this little history lesson? 2008, Terrell Pryor, I believe that was his freshman year. Um, They just went 10-3 and that year. No big deal. Um, 2019, 
or 20, 2019. So next year, this is who they've got. 2009, Terrell Pryor again, they go 11 and 2. Um, the next year, 2010, I believe it was Terrell Pryor again. These wins were vacated, but they still went 12 and 1 that year, even though um, those wins were vacated. So still a really good record with Terrell Pryor. Then 2011, that was the first year that we had Braxton Miller as the quarterback. They went 6-7, and seven, so a down year for the Buckeyes in 2011. Miller stays the quarterback. They go 12-0 and all that year. Um, then they that was when they were ineligible for the playoffs or anything. Um, then in 2013, still Miller. They go 12-2, and two, um, losing the Orange Bowl by five points to the Clemson Tigers. Then 2014, that was the JT Barrett as the starter with Cardell Jones kind of getting some snaps. 2014, they win the they national championship. Yep. That was the year that Cardell kind of took the starting job late in the year. They go 14-1 and one overall. Then in 2015, it's Cardell Jones again. They go 12-1 and one that year. Then 2016, where it's JT Barrett show, and they go 11-2. and two. And then last year, they go 12-2 and two with JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins a little bit. So really, you say it's been an assembly line literally from the last decade. Terrell Pryor, Braxton Miller, Cardell Jones, JT Barrett, now Dwayne Haskins. It's been four quarterbacks going on the fifth one, and we'll see if he can kind of continue that. Really, it was Braxton Miller's first year before Urban Meyer came in where they went six and seven. I was going to say, so the pressure is on Haskins. You, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he's got a standard to live up to. Yep. And it's, I mean, it's clearly been set, and you don't want to be the guy to be any worse than that. So I, I think that, you know, there's... There's, I don't want to say that there's some pressure riding there, mm-hmm. but it's certainly got to be in the back of his mind that, hey, there's a standard. I've got to meet it. Well, and for me, the big, the the two big guys I'm looking at. One, I was all over him coming into last year. I think he's a phenomenal offensive weapon. Did you get and that's, him? Uh, that's No, I'm still on him. Paris Campbell. Like, I love this dude. Where basically, yeah, he's not like a guy that's going to be in a 1,000-yard receiver. He only had about 584. Last year, dude's got speed. Dude is quick. Dude can. Dude. Dude can. I basically, dude like, can do a lot. I could see him being, like, if he develops right and in the NFL develops right, could be like a um, Tyreek Hill kind of a guy with the speed that he has. Like, being that kind of a receiver at the next level. The other guy that, I mean, I cannot wait. I think that it'll be it'll be him. And I'm blanking on the name, the the running back that will be at the um, with the Badgers this year. It's going to be J J K Dobbins, who is going to be one of the best running backs. Like Saquon Barkley was the best back last year. Dobbins might take that over this year and could be the best back we see in the Big Ten this year. Those will be the two guys that I am really excited about. That if they play well, that'll take all that pressure off of. Haskins, because he'll have a running back that can do it all, who had almost 1,500 yards last year, who averaged about just over seven yards a pop as a freshman a year ago. And Paris Campbell, he'll fly all over the field just waiting for Haskins to drop him passes 
all day. So those are two guys that I'm looking at that it's like, yes, if those guys can play well, then you add in a guy like K.J. Hill. I think this Buckeye Buckeye team is going to be fine this year, even if they lose Urban for about two to four games at the beginning of the year. Johnny Dixon, Mm -hmm. wide receiver, 18 catches Mm -hmm. on the year. He had eight touchdowns. Yeah. 18 catches, eight TDs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, again, it's it's what what Ohio State – Always has is effectiveness, and they're efficient with what they they've just have got. Talent. They're, they're, they're talent they're so efficient. It doesn't matter. You, oh, that guy only got twelve passes. He had eleven touchdowns. You know, I mean, that's just that's just how it feels with Ohio State. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a like math. It's like a plug and chug. You mm-hmm. know, it's they they take out guys, they put new ones in, and they all seem to be outstanding. And that's why, again. No one would be surprised if people are picking them to win the East yep. and picking them to win the conference. I'll say it right now. This is a team that will most likely go undefeated this year and play Wisconsin for the Big Ten title again. Like The thing I look at, you look at the teams they lost to last year. A like Penn State could get them. I'm not going to say that's going to be an easy win for them. Duh, it's not. I know that's going to be a dogfight. But like they lost the Iowa game because they were coming off of a highly exciting win against Penn State. They're not going to let that happen again. Like Penn State, they're not going to lose to Indiana at home. Like the Iowa game compounded because they were playing on the road. This year the Penn State games on the road, then they have two games at home. Also, you look at the teams that they're playing from the other side of the of the Big Ten, Minnesota, which should be a win. Purdue on the road, yeah, Purdue might be tough, but I'm still giving that to the Buckeyes. And then Nebraska. I would say it's a trap game if it was in Lincoln. It's in Columbus. It should be a win. As long as this team takes care of business against Penn State, takes care of business against Michigan State, which those two teams... They are at East Lansing. They are Happy Valley, so it's going to be a little bit harder than last year. And then takes care of business last game of the year against rival Michigan. I see this team basically being a team that could win every game because, I'll be honest, TCU fans will get mad. I like this team better against TCU on a neutral site than I did last year against OU. I mean, that OU team was a special OU team. Yeah, TCU is going to be good. However, that TCU team this year is nothing where that Oklahoma team was last year. And is it weird that I like Ohio State against TCU on a neutral site this year more than I liked them against Ohio or liked them against Oklahoma in Columbus last year? Like Usually you'd be like, oh, the neutral site game. Like, you don't get that home field advantage. I like them better here than I did last year, and it was a home game for them. I think you look at the schedule for the Buckeyes. They they win their first four. They beat Indiana, Minnesota, Purdue, Nebraska, Maryland, Michigan. And the two games that I look at, and I know people will call me crazy because last year they blew mm-hmm. Michigan State out of the water 48-3. Mm-hmm. It was not even. It's going to be a closer game, maybe, because it's on the road. <laughs> it's going to be a closer game, comma, 
Well, maybe. I, I mean, it could um, it could still be a blowout. I'm not I'm not taking that out of the equation. And that and that's and that's still with this defense that mm-hmm. Michigan State was was boasting last yep. year. They just didn't show up for that one. I mean, it's Penn, at home this year, Penn, so it could Penn be State easier to get. And out. Michigan State are the two games on this schedule that I look at mm-hmm. for Ohio State and the Buckeyes, and I go, those are going to be two tests. They're both going to be difficult games, and if Ohio State wins both of those games, mm-hmm. they they will go undefeated. So are you completely discounting the Michigan-Ohio State game? Are you discounting yes. it and saying it's going to be Ohio State by a long run? Yes. Wow, really? Yes. Really? Yes. I'm throwing it in there. I'm throwing it go in there. Go ahead. The, the reason why I throw it in there is because of what we talked about in the Michigan preview is, one— they probably have the best quarterback that they have since Jim Harbaugh had Jake Rudolph. Number Rudock. two, Rudock. Um, number two, I was thinking Mason Rudolph in my head. Um, number two, you think Jim Har? I think Jim Harbaugh is going to get these get these guys remembering. Hey, remember twenty? Like you guys were here. Remember? Uh, remember twenty sixteen? Remember what happened in uh, Columbus twenty sixteen? How we should have had them. We did have them. We got screwed in that game. Get the boys going. I think that's going to be a closer game this year. I'm not necessarily saying Michigan wins it hands down, but basically saying, hey, you know what? Let's get the boys going. It's going to be as close of a game as it was in 2016, not like what we saw last year or in 2015. Michigan's defense, while, yes, they're Mm -hmm. very good, they will be very good. Mm -hmm. Ohio State is at home. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's so many weapons. Yeah. We went through a number of mm-hmm. them. Michigan cannot contain them all. Oh, that's why I'm, like I said, it's going to be, to me, I'm thinking the offense will be better. That's why I'm saying it's going to be closer to a, Ohio State's going to get their 30 points. I ain't saying that they're going to be under 30 points. Like, you look at since Jim Harbaugh's got there, Ohio State's gotten 42, 30, and 31 against Michigan. They're going to get their 30 points. But I don't see this Michigan team being a 13, a 20-point team. I see them being a 27 or above point team. That's why I said closer to that 30 to 27 game like it was in 2016. I think that you're 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 correct in in what you're saying in terms of what 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 you're not necessarily in just what you're saying, but what you're thinking, what you're thinking in terms of of this has been a close game in the past. We've seen it be a close game, and it's the last game of the season. And that also has adrenaline and emotions and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But still, I, I'm, I'm very high on Ohio State. I like what I see on the on the roster. I think Michigan's going to be much improved from where they were last year. But I don't think that they're going to be at the point where. I don't I'm not saying this is going to be a blowout game, but I don't think we're going to be seeing some double overtime 30-27 score. I'm going to ask you this really quick, a little uh college football history for you. Do you know off the top of your head the last year that Michigan beat Ohio State in this rivalry? I don't know off the top of my head. I will give you a hint. You were I want uh, I want to say you were a junior in high school. Because you graduated high school in 2012, right? No. All right. 
2011 yeah. was basically when it was. Um, do you know, we know who the starting quarterback for the Buckeyes was because I named all of them, uh, Brack, Brackton Miller. Do you remember who the starting quarterback was for the Michigan State Wolverines that year? The Michigan State Wolverines? Or not Michigan State, Michigan Wolverines. It's been a long podcast. No, I don't. He had the nickname Shoelace. He got drafted by the Jaguars. Or the G- yeah, the Jaguars. Because I, I keep saying that wrong. It's not Jaguars, it's Jaguars. He got drafted by the Jaguars. Just tell me. Denard Robinson. Shoelace. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. We weren't close, he, he, so I didn't he know. He was the... Uh, he was the quarterback, the dual threat quarterback that eventually disappeared. Changed to a wide receiver that event- at the eventually next disappeared level. in the um, next level. But yeah, that is the last time that Michigan State has won. So let's see: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six. So if we're going off of history, Ohio State will win this year. Next year, Michigan will win because it's been 2003. Michigan won. Seven wins for Ohio State. That seventh one gets vacated. Michigan wins. And then right now we're on a six-game win streak for Ohio State. Basically, ever since Urban Meyer's been there, I think, it's been Ohio State over Michigan. But I think that one is a tougher. I'm going to throw that into the Penn State-Michigan State games that you were talking about. Any final thoughts about the Buckeyes before we uh, tie or end everything up? They're an exciting-looking team again this season, even with no JT Barrett at the helm. You just got to hope, if you're a an Ohio State Buckeye fan, that this investigation uh, within two weeks, 14 days, is wrapped up, is done, and uh, you know a, a, an outcome where you keep your head coach. A little fun fact to end the podcast. Ever since the new millennium, or willennium, um, Michigan has only beaten Ohio State three times. 2000, 2003, 2011. It's been all Buckeyes ever since. This is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. What do you think about Ohio State this year? About Haskins, the offense, the defense? How great is this team going to be this year? And also about the Urban Meyer situation going on right now. Also... If you're on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, any podcast services around the world, make sure to tell us what you thought about anything we talked about today. Make sure to check out Patreon.com to check out how to support the channel more so than watching and listening. Make sure to grab yourself an MVP t-shirt down below in the description or at mostvalpodcast.com where you can catch MVP each and every day. And last but not least, if you're on, on Apple Podcasts, you have iTunes, make sure to give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. It means the world to us. And also type in a little something-something. We are not a couple of good old boys. We talk more than the SEC. You, I will bring you it up. You say this every time. I will bring it up until somebody gives us any review, like any review, because we're not good old boys. We don't just talk SEC. We just talked for about two and a half hours to three hours, I want to say, on the Big Ten. But thank you guys for watching on YouTube. Thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.